Are we live? I guess we are live. All right, let's uh, let's get started with some announcements. The Vickers Q&A will be a little bit more sporadic when I'm on holiday, either to Japan or the United States. So I'll go to Japan from September 2nd to 10th, but I probably need a day to kind of recover from that, to the 11th. So on September, the, let me see. Yeah, that's September 2nd, where we normally would have the Vickers Q&A on Saturday and September 9th. I probably won't be able to do a vigorous Q&A live because this is like a holiday that me and my wife will have with uh, one of my good friends in Japan. Um, so probably no vigorous Q&A then unless I find some good internet. But, you know, I highly doubt it because it's going to take me two hours and that is supposed to be holiday time. Plus, you know, with the time zone difference and uh, the travel involved and all that stuff, probably no vigorous Q&As on the 2nd and 9th. And then from October 12th to November 11th, I'll go to the United States with a quick stop in Beijing, China. So let's see which weekends are those. So that is September the f or October the 14th. I'll be in China. Uh, probably need to use a VPN to access YouTube. So don't count on it, but I'll keep you guys updated. October the 21st, I'll be in the US. I should be able now. Probably won't be doing a vigorous Q&A because that's when the Swiss Symposium is in Columbus, Ohio. Yes, I'll be a guest speaker and I'll soon start announcing, um, you know, some more details about that. The 28th, I should be in Las Vegas. We should be able to do a vigorous Q&A then. And then the 4th of November is the uh, Mr. Olympia weekend. So don't count on it. And then on the 11th, I fly home. So don't count on it. So I'm uh, going to post an update somewhere, uh, probably on my YouTube channel and the Patreon page and all that kind of stuff on when you guys can expect a vigorous Q&A. And if I will be able to do that on Friday or Sunday or another day, um, you know, I might be able to do a live play by play, uh, you know, live streaming it from the Mr. Olympia. But uh, but let's see how the internet connection is. So I might not be able to commit fully, but I should know with a couple of days notice where I am, how the internet connection is, and uh, if I'm able to commit to a vigorous Q&A around those weekends. So yeah, a lot of travel time involved coming up soon. So I just wanted to give you guys adequate notice. So if you're thinking about purchasing a $10 membership for the Vigorous Inquisitor level, that uh, there might be some limited availability of yours truly during uh, September 2nd to 11th and October 12th to November 11th. Yes, I'll be in the United States for an entire month. I'll go to Beijing. Then I'll fly to uh, LA, but actually I need to go to Detroit. Uh, so that's a stopover in LA. Then I fly to Detroit same day to meet Scott McNally. Then we go to Columbus, Ohio for the Swiss Symposium. And I have a podcast on Monday with Dave Tate. Then I fly to Chicago to meet Chase Irons. I'll stay there one or two days. I go to Las Vegas to meet my wife. She'll come a little bit later. Then we go, uh, we stay there for about a week, do some collaborations. And then we go to, uh, let's see, uh, what is it, Florida, right? <laughs> Orlando, Florida for the Mr. Olympia and uh, maybe some Disney World. And then after that, I go to L.A. on the way back because otherwise the flight is way too long to go back directly. A couple days in L.A. and then we fly home. So, yeah, big trips coming up. A lot of fasting in the airplane. I just finished a five and a half day fast and uh, I just had a little bit of food today. It's weird, I got some pimples during this fast. I have no idea why. Maybe it's the garbage that I ate previously. I mean, look look at this, what the hell? Disgusting. <laughs> okay, let's get started with the questions. Uh, Philips, oh, Filippo's Jim. Hey, Steve, 
What do you think about Ritalin for improving brain power during learning sessions? Is there habituation effects of with Ritalin? I found for me I can achieve better success uh, through a higher dopamine release than, for example, Modafinil. Personally, I didn't really like Ritalin, even at a low dose of 5 milligrams um, or 2.5 milligrams for that matter. Yeah, so, so I mean, if it works for you, there's so many nootropics out there, right? Everybody has their uh, favorite nootropic, their nootropic that is a slight vice, whether that's modafinil or Ritalin or Adderall or Dexedrine or Vyvanse or, uh, you know, some of the racetams that are available. If it works for you, go for it. Um, you know, if you start using it every day, there might be some habituation. It might be a positive effect regarding neurogenesis. It might be a negative effect that you get addicted to it and you have to use it long term and phase it out. Now, with modafinil, um, that doesn't really seem to be the case. Some people uh, tend to get, you know, some side effects of uh, modafinil withdrawal after they take it out. But personally, I didn't experience that. I ran it man, almost every day or multiple times per week for like two or three years straight, 50 milligrams monafinil per day. And at one point I decided to stop cold turkey and it wasn't an issue. So, but Ritalin I used intermittently here and there. I kind of to experiment with it. Personally, it wasn't my favorite. So after one strip of uh, Ritalin, which were 10 milligram tablets, um, which lasted a very long time, I think I threw like four or five tablets in the trash because Ritalin isn't my thing. But if it works for you, again, you know, go with the nootropic or stimulant or whatever falls in between uh, that uh, works the best for you. Let's see. Mudasar asks, hey, Steve, what would what could be the ideal blood glucose level prior to a growth hormone administration post-workout or before night's sleep? To, uh, okay, so let's answer the first question first. Uh, I would say below 100 milligrams per deciliter would be ideal. That's usually a good indication that you have good insulin sensitivity going on. But post-workout, especially if, an, if you have an inter-workout shake, it's probably going to be 120, 130 milligrams per deciliter. So you might have to wait a little bit for your body to kind of metabolize the post-workout shake or, um, you know, reduce your cortisol levels to the point you don't get so much gluconeogenesis or uh, genoglycogen. What is it? Glycogenolysis, where the liver liberates stored uh, glucose or stored glycogen into blood glucose. Um, so you might have to wait 30 minutes, 45 minutes. That's why I prefer growth hormone pre-workouts. So you can burn off all of those free-form fatty acids that you're now liberating through lipolysis from growth hormone administrations. And it doesn't seem to affect your uh, insulin sensitivity because you're basically, um, you know, burning all those free-form fatty acids away during the workout. So even if you have an inter-workout shake with some essential amino acids, some, you know, simple glucose molecules, high-brand uh, high cyclic dextrins or, um, you know, maltodextrins, whatever you prefer, whatever digests well for you, I would prefer growth hormone pre and um, maybe some IGF-1 post or IGF-1 and growth hormone pre, right? up to your preference. And before night's sleep, I would say definitely below 100 milligrams per deciliter. So if you have a uh, carbohydrate-free dinner, so let's say salmon and vegetables, or steak and vegetables, maybe an avocado, half one, right, a little bit of almonds, mixed nuts, etc. Just uh, protein, uh, fat, protein, fats, and veggies, and then you do your growth hormone administration a little bit before bed your blood glucose levels should be below 100 milligrams per deciliter. And if they're elevated, then the meal before your last meal probably had too much simple carbohydrates. All right, second question. How long to wait prior to carb intake after... What, what the hell? How long to wait prior to carb intake after post-workout growth hormone 
administration. Okay, <clears throat> so he wants to know, after the workout, he takes growth hormone, how long does he need to wake before he can eat carbs? I would say about an hour. That's why, again, <clears throat> I prefer my growth hormone administration pre-workout so I can have carbs directly post-workout. All right, I hope that clarifies things. <clears throat> oh, man, I hope I'm not going to lose my voice to this. Uh, too many phone calls today. Aaron Rollick asks, hey, coach, I was wondering, uh, do you have uh, an every night wind, wind down? Fuck, man, guys, write it out properly so I can read it. Jesus fucking Christ. Do you wind down uh, before bed? Do you use any habits, supplements, an early morning ritual that you feel sets you up for success? Thanks again. Yeah, I, I usually take my time to write out these sentences so I can read it out on the fucking podcast. Okay, so what habits do I have? I take my Gorilla Mode Dream and I uh, shake vigorously. You can imagine which body part that is. And otherwise, um, you know, I get busy with my wife and trying to impregnate her and shit. And then uh, that's my nighttime ritual. And sometimes I do a little bit of reading. Sometimes I, uh, you know, do a little bit of a meditation, which is just me relaxing on the couch or relaxing downstairs with my cats and not thinking about anything while I uh, stroke the cats um, and, and chase them around slightly, you know, to make sure that they get super tired so they don't wake me up in the middle of the night. And, uh, and that's pretty much about it. Um, you know, I turn off all electric devices. Did I mention all this shit in the, in the sleep deep dive videos, guys? I think I did, right? But it's too long to watch, right? It's hours in duration. Why not just ask Steve? Well, uh, what does me set me up for success? Um, just making sure I get a good night's sleep every single night and, uh, and, you know, not play video games until the later hours because that keeps your brain awake. All right, next one. Mudasar asks, hey, uh, let's see, the 600 milligram uh, per 10 milliliter glutathione vials that I bought says for intravenous use only. I've been doing them intramuscularly one milliliter per day, and it burns a lot. Is there any problem with doing them intramuscularly? Um, you know, the ones I have is 600 milligrams per four milliliter, and I do 600 milligrams, uh, thus four milliliters, in one go. But my glutes are gigantic. And I have a lot of scar tissue there, so it doesn't really burn for me. Usually, the body kind of gets um, used to it over time. Ideally, you do antioxidants like vitamin C, glutathione, NAD+, etc., intravenously over a slow amino acid drip of, uh, let's say, 30 minutes to one hour. Um, so your body can slowly absorb that. And uh, you don't have so much uh, potential, again, this is potential speculated, of a pro-oxidant effect. It apparently, in high concentration, something like glutathione, NAD+, vitamin C, other injectable antioxidants, if you inject them somewhere, um, a higher concentration like that uh, can have some pro-oxidant effects. Now, I'm not too familiar if that's exactly true or not. I've been injecting glutathione basically every single day. Well, not every single day. Um, what is it? Four times a week because I do IV 1800 milligrams once a week. And uh, no issues so far in my glutes. But then again, I've been hitting my glutes for over a decade so there might be some um yeah brain pain-free tissue in there <laughs> nowadays so again uh, 60 milligram per day is uh, kind of peanuts i would say i don't think that's anything uh, not going to do anything for your antioxidant status i would rather take uh, 2000 milligrams n-acetylcysteine with uh, maybe 2000 milligrams glycine so 1000 milligrams nac 1000 milligrams glycine together which seems to promote uh, absorption and glutathione production and, uh, you know, leave the baby dosages of 60 milligrams glutathione. Um, yeah, 
just leave it in the closet because I don't think it's going to make a net difference. You know, the effective dose from glutathione is 600 to 1800 milligrams multiple times per week. So you might have to do uh, the accidentally inject the full 10 milliliters to get some benefits out of it. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, it's uh, I, I think it's just a waste of post-injection pain. And otherwise, do uh, 1800 milligrams intravenous once a week. You know, with a slow drip, it's not that difficult to set up or you get a private nurse to do it for you. All right, Club Energy. Steve, do you have any experience with Proxifil? No, I have no idea what it is. Enjoying uh, my shifts towards wellness and anti-aging. Initial research suggests it's beneficial but expensive. Always appreciate it. Now, my, uh, my compounding pharmacy here doesn't have that on the list. Let me do a quick Google search for it. What is it called? Proxifim? Proxofim? Uh, 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 reverse aging. All right. Oh, Peptide Sciences has it. Of course. I probably have a whole article. Jesus Christ, $300 for 10 milligrams? Oh, man. You know how many lap dances that is, guys? I will keep you young also. All right. Let's see. Blah, blah, blah. You know what? Yeah. Looks promising, but I'm not going to run it <laughs> for 300 bucks for 10 milligrams. What is the effective dose? It's like probably like five milligrams is the effective dose. So it's $150 a shot. I can get a cigar, a lap dance and two glasses of whiskey for that. And that's how you have to look at life. Even though that will shorten your life, it will certainly improve the quality of your life in the moment. <laughs> so no, no experience. Um, and my uh, days of experimentation are probably over. I, I'm not too interested in, you know, experimenting with these things that are very expensive and that I will not be able to transfer to anybody else because um, it's unknown. That's the problem I always face. I try to experiment with something. I do the research. I make a video about it. Zero views and zero requests for consultations. So what's the fucking point to do it, right? Marcus asks, hey, Steve, what's the best time to take testosterone, SHBG, estradiol, progesterone, DHEA, pregnenolone, blood work test if these markers are quite in range? If you're just on testosterone suspension two times per day intramuscularly before injection one to two hours after um hmm i would just i would do one hour after yeah one hour after you see so you see directly what the effects had uh, are of the testosterone suspension on your blood work because your shbg might come down slightly your estradiol might come up a little bit your pregnant alone Progesterone and DHEA should be pretty much the same, whether you do that before or after the injection. But your testosterone, SHBG, and estradiol will be manipulated. And I think it's better to get an accurate reading of what your blood work is manipulated directly after a testosterone suspension shot um, compared to before, because it might look better or unfavorable, right, regarding your testosterone levels, because testosterone suspension shoots up and tapers down quite fast. And if you do it before the injection, your testosterone might be like 250 nanograms per deciliter. And post-injection, depending on the dose, it might be 1,000 or 2,000 nanograms per deciliter. So there's a huge discrepancy and a difference. Um, and since you're doing it intramuscularly, um, yeah, not sub subcutaneously, which is a little bit more sustainable, I would say, for testosterone suspension, because you let the adipose tissue, um, you know, act as a reservoir, as a depot, allowing your body to metabolize and absorb it a little bit slower. Um, so you have more stable levels, but lower peaks, but also less aromatization and better SHBG levels. So 
Maybe experiment with both. Do a month of intramuscular, check it an hour later. Do a month of uh, subcutaneous, check it an hour later, and then see what the difference is, right? And then uh, make the appropriate adjustments. Mudasser, all right. What are the essential blood markers that need to be checked for a woman over 40 years old for general health and a hormonal balance? All of them. All of them. My wife is 40 years old. She does all of them. She does the complete blood count, the hemoglobin A1C, the lipids, the cholesterol, the triglycerides, the LDL, the HDL, the APOE A1 and the APOE B uh, normal. <laughs> there's no variant. <laughs> and then there's a C and an E and another one. And the lipoprotein little A, right? Once a year, at least full blood work with intermittent blood works in between. Serum iron is very important total liver health right with all the markers that are related to the liver as well as for the kidneys just check all of it once per year and then whatever is off make the appropriate adjustments and then retest a month three months later right depending on the marker and the adjustments that need to take place but at least once per year at least once per year dhea sulfate estradiol esterone estriol testosterone shbg lh fsh all of it just check all of it and it will cost a little bit of money, but she's getting 40 years old. So you, uh, you know, need to manage her health because otherwise she, um, yeah, gets old fast and then she's no longer attractive. So the amount of money that you need to spend into your wife or a partner when she's over 40 is significantly more. But you get a lot more back than dating younger girls because those girls are nuts nowadays. <laughs> Ahmed asks... Ty and Clark looks... Oh, we're not going to answer this one. This is a bit disrespectful, Ahmed. I couldn't respond. Uh, remove this comment. So don't do this again. Otherwise, you're banned. Um, as we supplement with such omega-3s, do you think that it's valuable to supplement with arachidonic acid? No, I don't think so. Because arachidonic acid will just make you sore. And if you train hard enough, you should be sore enough. And for all the guys that promote arachidonic acid and always say, oh, I'm so sore, I'm so sore, I never feel the sore, they're probably not training hard enough and they need the extra inflammation for a little bit of muscle growth. Do they look any better than anybody else that actually trains hard and takes their fish oil religiously and uses health and performance enhancing drugs? No, they don't. They don't look anywhere close. Better yet, I'm off cycle now and I look better than these guys promoting arachidonic acid. So... There you have it. Ahmed asks, will using 5-HTP uh, supplementation attenuate the natural interaction with serotonin preventing the depression symptoms? No, it does not. Um, it, it doesn't seem to give the effect because some of the people just don't respond well to Nalandrolone and they could be on 100 milligrams to 200 milligrams of 5-HTP and they still get that effect. I haven't really had the time to research why Nandrolone has this particular effect on depression and why Nandrolone decanoate seems to be a little bit more progressive compared to uh, Nandrolone filnilpropionate in this effect. But at one point, I'll get to it. I've had much more interesting projects <laughs> to focus on than uh, Nandrolone. Yeah, so if, if you get depressed, just don't use it, right? It's that simple. You have so many other drugs to choose from. Jason asks, Hey, Steve, inherited the sluggish thyroid that runs on my mom's side of the family. Been supplementing desiccated thyroid from Armour. Uh, okay, so that's what, the desiccated thyroid? Yeah, that's the... Uh, 12.5 uh, micrograms T3 and 25 micrograms T4, if I'm not mistaken, for a few years, and it works great. Any downsides or concerns with long-term use? Otherwise, our TSH gets higher than one would like to see. Okay, so I don't see a reason for concern if you still have your TSH somewhat in range. That means that your pituitary is still producing thyroid-stimulating hormone, 
and you still get a little, a little bit of activation of the thyroid stimulating hormone receptors in the thyroid gland and thus you produce a little bit of T3 and or T4 and T3 downstream uh, in the thyroid. So if you take too much armor thyroid, you know, a couple of grains and your TH is zero, then of course you're shutting down your thyroid gland. And over time, that could mean that it doesn't bounce back, similar to how the testicles don't really bounce back after so many years or decades of being shut down. So this is if you, how you have to look into it. Um, I made a video, dedicated video, about how you can come off thyroid medications, where I discussed various blood work parameters, uh, how you need to uh, you know, pay attention to your micronutrient intake if you want to reduce or remove something like a desiccated thyroid from armor thyroid uh, supplements or uh, you know just thyroxine and uh, the other one just the pharmaceutical grade t3 and you can make your own combination um so you have to face that out and just watch that video get an inner ear thermometer to check your basal body temperature and then supplement all the things that i recommend in that video the the selenium and the iodine etc and then uh, hopefully you can either reduce the dose or get off it completely because it could be that your metabolism of iodine or metabolism of selenium is not as favorable and you're by supplementing it and at the right times you could get off the thyroid medication and just have a normal functioning thyroid you know maybe there's an issue like um, an issue with methylation or an issue with absorption or an issue with glucuronidation right that you have to check you can maybe get that determined with a 23andme dna test so a lot of options for you give that video a watch follow-up question where do you keep aim to keep your T3, T4, and TSH? Uh, high normal for the T3 and T4 because he's supplementing and below 2 to 2.5 and the TSH. If you already have a video covering this, uh, feel free to give me the direction. Yeah, so watch the thyroid video and I would say that these normal uh, levels are normal because you're supplementing with T3 and T4 from the desiccated thyroid tablets and your TSH is not super low. Actually, your TSH could be a little bit lower. I would say 1 to 2. Uh, what was it milli i use per milliliter is okay right it's still within the range i'll be to the bottom of the reference range you get a little bit of thyroid stimulation a little bit of production of t4 conversion into t3 downstream assuming your deiodinized uh, enzymes are still active uh, growth hormone helps with that uh, quick plug for the gh and uh, and then everything should be okay all right next one Aaron Pollock or Aaron, Aaron Rollick asks, Coach, um, I can sense that you're a very driven person. What would you say to yourself when things get hard or we don't feel like doing something, but it must be done? What are your uh, habits, thoughts, self-talk to get it done? I just don't want, I'm not a quitter. <laughs> it's that simple. Dude, I'd say this, but life is never as hard as the hardest time of your life. It's just... A roadblock that you need to step over and in many cases you can just squash that by doing it it gets easier if you address it right away right what are hard things parents divorcing that's hard right? breaking your leg that's hard friends dying that's hard family members dying that's hard if it's not anywhere close to these kinds of things then shut the fuck up <laughs> really dude <laughs> school not fucking hard Dealing with the government, not hard. That's fucking easy. School and government, easy. Right? Dealing with your employer, easy. Dealing with relationships, easy. Unless she's a psychopath and she steals your kid away from you. Okay, that's hard. Right? Going through a divorce, legal battles or for custody, that kind of shift, that's hard. But 
most stuff in life is easy. You have to treat it like a video game. You get infinite respawns and redeals. Okay, when you die, you don't get a respawn. But most things that life throws at you, you just have to address right away instead of letting it, you know, ruminate in your head. Oh, it's so hard. It's so hard. Oh, pity me, pity me. I'm never going to fix this. No, if you address it right away, it will solve itself right as soon as possible. And then you can focus on something positive. So things are not hard. You just got to fix, fix it ASAP. Don't be, uh, don't, don't bring this defeatist, defeatist attitude to um, life. I'm sorry to be so tough, but I see a lot of quitters around me here in Thailand, and I'm sick and despised by that kind of behavior. You know, oh, the this and that, and complaining, complaining, complaining doesn't fucking solve anything. Shut the fuck up, get to work, solve your shit, right? You're a fucking adult. Baba Yaga asks, hey Steve, I got a complex one. My uh, male, a bit overweight with sedentary life, got estradiol permanently around 100 picograms per milliliter and it's impossible to lower fat so far. One milligrams or all per day didn't work. Uh, one to five milligrams daily either. Switching to Pharma Cymex, 25 milligrams, so that's Aromacin, I think. <laughs> it's Cymex Aromacin. Based on the dose, I would say it is. Just Google it if you don't know it. Cymex. Is that a Robeson? Ah, here, here is a package. You gotta fucking decipher all these questions. Examestane. All right, there we go. God, put the medical terms in there. I don't know all these brands. Uh, 25 milligrams aromacin per day didn't work. And a Kame of aromacin, 1 milligram, 25 milligrams. Okay, should have read it a little bit further. My bad. On a level of testosterone, luteinizing hormone, follicles, stimulating hormones, uh, changing, raising. Yeah, because estradiol has a negative feedback in your HPTA. When you bring that down, or at least, uh, well, on paper, apparently it doesn't come down, but your LH and FSH and TR level are going up. Um, but overall, patient is feeling lethargic, shitty, and uh, feeling chest pain. Okay, feeling chest pain, overweight, estradiol fucking high. Medication isn't the answer, dude. Get this guy in shape. And if this is about you, get yourself in shape. Start doing some daily fasted cardio. Start eating a little bit better. Stop playing the victim and look into medications instead of getting active. Really? Really? Medications is usually not the solve of everything. Uh, clearly, one, 5 milligrams of Arimidex and 25 milligrams of Nasser's uh, Aromacin. I mean, dude. Yeah. You know, if this is a client, you slap him across the mouth a couple times because he's stupid. And if it's yourself, then look into the mirror until you start realizing that medications is not going to make a change. And then start doing the work. Eat better, do the cardio, focus on your micronutrients. I'll release a video about well, one and a half weeks from now about steroidogenesis inhibitors. We're going to go over all the steps and all the medications and all the ancillaries which are going to inhibit various steps of the sex hormone and neurosteroid cascade. Give that one a watch. But since it's dropping in about two weeks, because my editor is on holiday next week, um, you have ample time to either fix yourself or fix your client. And they get a better outlook on how to manage this because uh, drugs are not the answer. Lifestyle is the answer. Lifestyle is hard. Yeah, but it's never as hard as having your parents divorce. So, get busy. Nick, what's up, buddy? Steve, this TikToker called me out at the boxing bar on PP. Call PP. All right. Much taller and probably 20 kilos heavier. Knowing, knowing I've never had a fight and he's experienced. I accept it as he's calling me out <laughs> for what's going on. Uh, 
wait out in front of everybody considering switching to fighting base training so i can get my own back would you consider coming off hrt uh, dude you had one interaction with some fighter at call pp you know you want to change uh you want to change uh, fucking fields these these are tiktokers they're in the boxing bar why are you at the boxing bar <laughs> Leave these, leave the boxers with the boxers. Leave the MMA fighters with the MMA fighters. If they want to talk to you, charge them for your drug advice. And otherwise, don't associate. They have a different mindset. They're not positive. They're always looking for an edge and always trying to fight. I've met many of these guys in Thailand, and they always, oh, this guy's so muscle, muscular, and they want to test you. <sighs> you don't want to test me. I've been here 15 years. It will end badly <laughs> for everybody involved. So. Just, just don't associate with these losers. I mean, there's so many MMA fighters and boxers and, and Muay Thai fighters that come here and never stay because they all want to follow the dream. But most of them did just come and go. So if you have an altercation here, just let it be. Don't change your field. Keep doing what you're doing. You love fitness. You love eating healthy. Um, and just kick ass that way. You know, don't don't waste your time on these losers that are, you know, full in Thailand because there's many of them. And if you beat one, there will be another hundred ready to take their place. So just don't don't waste your effort on these guys. Um, and if you want to learn fight training, well, go ahead, <laughs> you know, watch some of the endurance deep dive videos to get uh, some ideas. TRT is OK. And then everything else is. Uh, but getting into a fight in Thailand is very simple. Both of you are going to get deported. Yeah, so it really has to be worth it for you to uh, get your hands dirty. Thomas, how long, uh, how would you know what needle size you need to get intermuscular? I'm pretty sure so half an inch is it long enough. Um, I don't know. I did half an inch. I did one and a half inch. I prefer one and a half inch on my glutes and half an inch on other body parts, but I no longer pin on the body parts because I don't want the scar tissue anymore. So I do everything with an insulin syringe subcutaneously besides the glutathione shots that I do right now. But those at one point will be discontinued as soon as my wife is pregnant. So, and then I'm going to do everything sub-Q again. So if you're fat and half an inch isn't enough, go to one inch or one and a half inch. Right? And people are one and a half inches so long. It just means that you don't have enough muscle yet and you shouldn't really be injecting anything. Or you're fat as fuck. Right? It's either one or you don't have big muscles or you're fat as fuck. Both are not very appealing in the fitness industry so man the fuck up get some glutes get some lats or wherever else you want to pin and uh and get lean and then once you're lean and muscular you know you reach your natural potential then you can use half an inch and otherwise use an inch to get uh, to your natural potential faster right <laughs> some noobs out there wanted to do that Looking to do delts, quads, and venter glutes. Half an inch most likely won't do it. Um, won't go into my quads and glutes is my guess. Uh, yeah, uh, okay. So, uh, delt I wouldn't do because you get scar tissue. So, this is what you want with your delts. Detail. Look at this detail, dude. Yeah, I'm, and I'm fat right now. I'm like 12% body fat. Look at this fucking detail. Why would you want to lose that <laughs> by doing delt injections? I mean... Well, maybe not this side. This side is kind of fucked. Look at all this, all this beautiful wrestling of Bengal tigers. Um, why would you want to lose your shoulder striations with delt injections? Quad is okay if as long as you do it around the pocket size. And you know you're only injecting pharmaceutical gear. Venture glute I never really liked, but feel free to go ahead. There shouldn't be too much fat there. Half an inch shouldn't be an issue. 
and glutes uh, certainly my favorite after the lats but i stopped pinning lats a while ago because i simply don't do such high injection volume anymore so glutes otherwise go sub q it's not the end of the world i have several videos about that subcutaneous versus intramuscular doing an entire cycle subcutaneously i document this in various uh, videos uh, going over my blood work so give those all a watch and then uh, yeah make sure that you're lean dude then you can use a 13 millimeter insulin syringe all right freedom baby i miss running outside for cardio why covid is over <laughs> lockdowns are over <laughs> start riding outside is running just out of the question completely if i'm already struggling with added size onto my legs yes i would say that would doing sprints outside be a good compromise um i wouldn't do sprints i would do maybe some you know some elliptical or stairmaster and if you do do the stairmaster you take two steps at a time and maybe take some insulin and essential amino acids to kind of load up the muscle that way if your legs are suffering or you don't do any cardio for a while you know build that size on your legs do some swimming maybe to get your cardiovascular endurance in right so you only use your adductors or uh, you know a little bit of paddling and then um you know add that size to your legs because i know my legs suffer from doing cardio every day but i no longer care about leg size <laughs> i care about cardiovascular health so you have to make a choice do you like running outside doing some sprints here and there and then sacrificing a little bit of leg mass or do you want your leg mass and sacrificing a little bit of sprinting um, and getting your cardiovascular health in somewhere else, maybe in the swimming pool? All right, we'll leave it up to you. Thomas, what would be a great dose of T4 if you're looking to use it together with uh, TRT and clenbuterol to lose fat before starting a proper off-season? Would be the first time using it. Um, I, I would say 50 to 100 micrograms, maybe add in some T, uh, not some T4, you're already on T4, adding in some growth hormone to help with the thyroid conversion from T4 into T3, because T3 is the active version. And then the clenbuterol and the T3 that's now slightly elevated in the growth hormone, great lipolytic tools to get lean, assuming that your diet is in place. Holy shit, we got 10 people here. That's a first. Finally, 10 members at the same time. That's a first, guys. Great. Finally, everybody showed up. Normally, we only have like four or two sometimes. Makes me sad. Yeah. Do you have any source of ephedrine that ships to the United States? Uh, check on vigorousteve.com. There might be a source for that. Uh, 24 uh, H-R-E-U-P might have it on their list. Nick. Do you think insulin uh, sensitizers are generally beneficial? What do you recommend? Metformin, berberine. Uh, I like metformin post uh, cheat meal once a week. And berberine, you can take every day, basically 500 milligrams before bed or maybe 500 milligrams a.m., 500 milligrams evening, um, you know, twice a day. And that helps with insulin sensitivity. But metformin, I think it's a little bit too harsh for people who are not uh, suffering from diabetes or just didn't eat the entire hotel buffet accidentally and then had like three rounds of, uh, you know, cake and ice cream and, uh, you know, Thai uh, dessert. <laughs> that will set your blood glucose levels sky high. So in that case, 500 to 1,000 milligrams metformin is uh, beneficial. Maybe if you do a one-week fast, you know, at 500 milligrams metformin in the morning and in the evening to really, uh, you know, uh, get uh, the autophagy going. But otherwise, I would just use it sparingly because metformin makes you flat. It messes with your digestion. It lowers your IGF-1 levels. And if you want to use metformin, um, you know, for anti-aging purposes, there are much better anti-aging drugs out there that actually work.
really. NAD+, for example, glutathione, for example, growth hormone can apparently restore the thymus. Look for actual benefits of metformin in, in uh, life outcomes. Very little scientific evidence. So all you're doing is, uh, you know, shitting out your food. You can also eat less. Marco, coach, why whenever I go below 250 milligrams of testosterone per week, I feel lethargic, tired? Um, I don't know. I haven't been on testosterone for a while, and even though it's um, not as, uh, you know, I'm not as energetic and productive and motivated as I was on 250 milligrams of test, I still feel fine. So maybe do some blood work, see what's going on. You know, maybe when you go uh, below 250 milligrams of testosterone per week, your cortisol levels bounce back, and that's why you feel lethargic and tired. Or maybe it's just because you're in a micronutrient deficient state and the testosterone is masking for your zinc deficiency and your selenium deficiency and your taurine deficiency and your magnesium deficiency and whatever else. So I don't think it has anything to do with the testosterone. I think right now it's just masking whatever is actually making you tired and lethargic and it's just giving you a little bit of a false boost just like caffeine would. So take the testosterone out, take the caffeine out address the reasons why you feel lethargic until you feel better and then you can reintroduce the testosterone maybe 125 milligrams per week so you uh yeah testosterone is just a band-aid it seems freedom baby it's been around three weeks since i dropped testosterone from 600 to 200 getting pretty bad headaches for a couple days i've kept workouts the same could possibly the working out too hard for having less tests no no no, that is not the problem. It's probably because, um, you know, hematocrit is slowly, well, it's only been three weeks, right? Hmm. Bad headaches. I don't know, check your blood pressure. Maybe your blood pressure was high or you're using blood pressure medications to bring your high blood pressure down on 600 milligrams per week. And now you're on 200 milligrams and blood pressure medications is dropping your blood pressure too low and thus you're getting headaches. Maybe the headaches is from having high blood pressure. And, uh, you know, maybe you took the blood pressure medications out too early because 600 milligrams, it tapers over three to six weeks, not just three weeks. So you're probably still on 400 milligrams per week right now. <laughs> so... You know, you keep topping it off with 200 milligrams, but it, I, I don't think it's related to the test. It, it's probably related to either uh, micronutrient, again, deficiency, magnesium deficiency, or calcium deficiency, taurine deficiency, not enough water intake, uh, you know, dehydration can result in headaches, maybe you're not sleeping enough, maybe your blood volume is completely altered, maybe your blood pressure is too high, right? Look into all of those avenues, and... I don't know, maybe maybe you thought you felt fine on 600 milligrams and now you're dropping into 200 milligrams. And again, it's the 600 milligrams were masking problems that were already there. Now that you're on 200 milligrams, you're more susceptible to these problems, which are still there, right? The synthetic carrier oils, the inflammation that could come from, um, you know, injecting underground labs, which I'm not sure what you're using. So look into all the avenues that I just mentioned and then slowly start addressing it one by one. I think there's a video about uh, how to mitigate lower back bumps and shin splints. And it also goes over tension headaches. Um, could be that you're holding your breath during strenuous sets. Uh, that could lead into tension headaches. Uh, again, or your, you know, your blood pressure during your strenuous sets is too high. Maybe you need a week off and kind of retrain yourself on how to breathe through these exercises properly, you know? So again, I addressed that everything in um, 
what is it? Was it the tension headaches video? Man, I've made so many videos. Hmm. One of them. Ty type in headaches, tension, and the lower back pumps, and you probably get a few videos. Give those a watch. Thomas, how would you go about introducing insulin when you're already on growth hormone and how long of a blood glucose log should you have to keep when you should add in short-acting insulin? Um, well, I have a e whole ebook about that. <laughs> Gift I want to read. It's only 100 bucks. It's only 100 bucks For the value that you get out of it, um, you'll get it back tenfold, I promise you. Uh, so let's see, how long of a blood glucose log? At least a week. Check uh, your fasting blood glucose levels every day your glucose levels before each meal, your glucose levels post-workout and before bed. So that's quite a lot of uh, checking. Get a Dexcom or just prick your fingers all the time. And then uh, just make sure that you, you read all of that. And then you add in short-acting insulin with post-workout meal at one IU per 20 grams of carbs. You don't change anything during your meals unless they're absolutely horrendous. But again, the insulin ebook describes all of that. Um, so let's say you're having 80 grams of carbs post-workout, then you add in 4 IUs, you give that a week, and then you see how you respond on 5 IUs, 6 IUs, 7 IUs, 8 IUs maybe, right? And then maybe you take a little bit of pre-workout, or maybe you add in a little bit of long-acting insulin in the morning. The insulin ebook describes all of that. I would prefer you to start with long-acting insulin because you don't have any peaks or valleys, and your blood glucose levels are a lot more manageable on long-acting insulin than they are on short-acting insulin. I think short-acting insulin is a little bit more advanced than a long-acting insulin because even 10 IUs long-acting insulin per day, it's very rare to go hypoglycemic unless your insulin sensitivity is absolutely so phenomenal that, uh, or, or you're doing ketogenic diets, which again, I've run 20 IUs of Lantus on ketogenic diets and it was still okay. So, but that's me, maybe not you. So don't do what I did. Do what is beneficial for you. All right, thank you. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Well, do. All right, we're done. Fuck yeah, dude. Already got it done. Let's see if there's any more questions. Ah, good. Good job, Ahmed. Don't ask me these questions. Thomas, what markers do you look at to decide whether you keep the cycle uh, uh, or off-season going and you start cruising? Um, when you feel your markers are no longer manageable with ancillaries or better diet practices or cardio or uh, you know changing the compounds around, then, uh, then it's time to cruise. So you look at all the markers, obviously, <laughs> because it's usually like the liver enzymes are slightly off. And you're like, yeah, you know what? I can manipulate this with fish oil, citric bergamot, azetamide, maybe a statin, resuvastatin, or all the else to how you bring that down. So many ways to mitigate that. And then your liver enzymes go up. Okay, we'll start managing this with the tutka and the NAC and the vitamin E and eating a little bit more fiber. And then they still creep up and up and up. And then at one point, your creatine phosphokinase and your CKMM uh, is very, very high, right? Coming from the, the skeletal muscle, the CK creatine phosphokinase myocardial band. Um, at one point, you just look at your blood work and your hematocrit is too high. You've been doing donations and, and you look at your blood work. You're like, well, you know what? You look in the mirror, you, you, you look great. And you look at your blood work and you feel miserable about yourself. And then you start noticing all these little things and you feel a little bit nauseous during the day. Or you can't really eat so much anymore. Or you have these bags under your eyes, right? Not as bad as these ones or maybe worse, right? Don't wait until you have jaundice. 
<laughs> don't be that guy. Um, and then you're like, you know what? I, I made all the gains that I could on this cycle. It's time to throw in the towel. Ideally, you stop before you get to that point. You have a structured cycle, a structured ancillary plan, structured supplementation plan, structured diet, stru structured training protocol. You do a couple iterations of that with increments of training intensity and food intake and, and drug intake. And then uh, at one point you're like, you know what? I attained my goal for this uh, cycle. And uh, now we're gonna cruise out, clean out, so I can be ready for the next cycle. Right? I think three months on, or three months cruising and nine months on is okay if you start low and build your way up. You don't have to start with a two gram cycle. You can start with TRT, or HRT, or, or you know a bodybuilder dose. Right, two hundred fifty tests, two IUs of growth, maybe ten IUs of insulin, and then make as much gains as you can on that. After a three month cruise, you can restore all of the mass that you had on cycle with a TRT dose, a little bit of growth hormone in the IGF-1. Will it look cosmetically the same? Will you be as um, you know, strong as you used to be? Probably not, but the next iteration, you probably get all your strength back and then you progress from there. So I detailed that in the, uh, the off-season cycles with bioidentical hormones, 25 bucks. Give it a read. Thomas, what did that mean? You have to do blood work every month to see if something has changed. Yes, yes, my friend. Yes, you wanna use steroids? Blood work every month. No excuses. Now, Steve, what about every three months? You can do full blood work every three months. You do checkups every month in between. Yeah, but I can't do that in my country. Okay, then move somewhere else or don't use steroids. And if you want to catch an issue early on, you do blood work every month. I'm going tomorrow. I haven't done, I haven't not done blood work every month for years. Maybe I skipped one month when I'm off cycle, but when I'm on cycle, I'm not off cycle now, I still go every month. When I'm on cycle, I go every month. And if that's unrealistic for you, then it's your problem, not mine. <laughs> you know, go do it every month. Check your lipids and estradiol every month. Check your uh, complete blood count, hemoglobin A1C, your iron levels, your ferritin levels, at least every three months. Same with uh, liver enzymes, same with... Uh, kidney markers, right? Every three months, at least, with small checkups in between. And if you have to play the victim, you know, you know at your healthcare provider, so be it. You know, they they don't care if you die. Oh, they want to keep you alive, but as sick as possible, so you can spend as much money on your, uh, you know, medication bill. And uh, it's up to you to keep yourself as healthy as possible. You need the fundamental insights from doing blood work frequently. Cancer markers every year. Um, you know, the heavy metals every year. Check it all. See what's going on. And if that sounds unrealistic, then, then yeah, I mean, you're toying with your health. So you only got one body. You better respect it. Because it can go wrong real quick. All right. I guess we're done. That was great. Let's see if uh, Paul Burnett hasn't done a live stream in a while. So we're going to get everybody on board soon. Guys, post your questions. Otherwise, I am going to go live. Let's see. Is anybody live now? Oh, Paul is live with John Jewett. Great. Yeah, it's going to take a while before people jump in. 106 people watching. All right. <laughs> I guess we're going to have to wait for people to join. Jake, 
I'm having minor heart palpitations suddenly the past few weeks, trying to figure out what the cause is. Any comment, causes, or recommendations for troubleshooting this cause? Um, taurine deficiency, magnesium deficiency, calcium deficiency, water uh, and, and dehydration, maybe look into ubiquinol. And if that doesn't go away in a couple days, um, go get it checked out. Go to the ER or go to the hospital. Said I'm having heart palpitations. Please, please do an EKG. At least come some, get some diagnosis done to see if it doesn't go into a full-blown arrhythmia, and then you're on the floor gasping for air and wondering, uh, you know, in your final moments why you didn't go to the hospital with heart palpitations. But it's very likely that you're not getting enough. Uh, oh, another question: How much does estradiol affect strength? And oh, okay, guess he doesn't care about the heart palpitations anymore. Um, <laughs> so, uh, taurine, 5,000 milligrams per day, maybe 200 to 400 milligrams ubiquinol per day, uh, calcium and magnesium as required based on your uh, dietary intake, potassium intake also very important, water intake obviously very important, I have videos about this, and if it doesn't go away in a couple of days, then go get it diagnosed and checked out. Don't wait until you have a full-blown heart attack, then it's probably too late. Jake. How much does estradiol affect strength and stamina in the gym? Even a slightly low estradiol 15 negatively affected. Yeah, I would say so. I would say so because you're not holding on to the water that you would need for good strength and stamina. And maybe it's the reason why your estradiol is low, why you have these hold palpitations, because that can lead into dehydration if you're not drinking enough water. Right? Higher estradiol levels generally, uh, gen uh, tend to... My God. With higher estradiol levels, you generally tend to hold more water. And with lower estradiol levels, you generally tend to hold less water. So maybe you're slightly dehydrated, and that's why you have heart palpitations. So, I don't know. Drink a couple, uh, you know, a couple of these ones over the day, not immediately, and then see if you that makes you feel better. But yeah, I like an estradiol at the top of the reference drinks. Good for libido, good for empathy. And if you ha are a little bit more watery, who the fuck cares? Who the fuck cares? You go outside and you see that everybody is a lot more than water attentive. They're obese as fuck. <laughs> so that's what general population is. Don't go by Instagram where everybody's shredded and uses Photoshop and, and you know whatever other strategy they can to look better than they really look. I've met many of these guys in real life and they all look like dog shit off the platform what you want to do is look okay on the platform and then look phenomenal in real life that is the goal man but of course it's less marketable so don't be bamboozled by these guys on social media man thomas i remember when i joined the ab podcast got a lot of positive messages on chase's discord after that okay so you look good i assume So I'm assuming you look good. All right. So bring your estradiol levels up and get your whole part. Oh, that was Jake. Uh, let's see. Oh, wait. This is a different question. <laughs> My bad. How much do you pay to get your estradiol lipids tested every month? I think it would be 50 euros for me. Yeah, something like that. Oh, maybe less. Maybe maybe like 15. But the taxi is also costing much. Um, I think it's like... 15 euros 20 euros so now 50 bucks i mean everybody should be able to spend 50 bucks a month <laughs> you know you go cheap somewhere else i remember when i joined the ab we got positive messages okay so i'm assuming you look good 
Jake, you rock. Okay, cool. All right, guys, I guess that's it. Let me throw up the banner. And then, uh, oh, last one. Okay, so you're not on gear and you want to do a research. Okay, keep keep researching a lot, all right? Because once you go on gear, you can't go back. You punch in your netty cards, and uh, and it comes with a laundry list of uh, things you probably didn't think about. So, watch the podcast with uh, Doctor Scott Stevenson, which I recorded this week. Will drop on Monday. You might get some good ideas and things to think about. Jake, do you think progesterone cream is worth it? Trying to fall asleep. For some sleep issues and anxiety um i'm not sure if that would be beneficial but i do believe that higher doses of progesterone you know sublingually 25 50 100 milligrams can help with the sedation sleep and maybe reduce anxiety but the same thing can be said for gaba you can also combine gaba with pro, uh, progesterone um albeit at lower dosages because they have a positive uh, effect synergy right progesterone helps with gaba a or gaba b receptor sensitivity or gabinergic activity at least and if you supplement a little bit of gaba on top of that then you might have a more pronounced effect so let's say 10 milligrams progesterone and 500 milligrams gaba at the same time and maybe that takes the edge off you know, so maybe you have anxiety because you have sleep issues. <laughs> Could also be the case. And then you need to watch the deep, deep, uh, deep sleep, deep dive video series, maybe a couple more times to get better suggestions than progesterone creep. High dose progesterone does feel like GHB, though. <laughs> it's, yeah, don't start doing it every day because you'll wreck your hormone balance. But uh, trying 100 milligrams uh, sublingual progesterone, I, I felt like I had like flashback to my party days. Yeah, I'll, I'll say that. So. Not sustainable, though, because my libido was murdered for a couple days afterwards. All right, guys, let's wrap it up here. Let's go public. Bathroom break. BRB. And then uh, let's see what happens. Most people are still waiting for uh, Paul Barnett's podcast to finish, though. He's got... Oh, I don't see John Jewett in there. He already leave? Let's see what they're doing. Ah, never mind. I'll join the next time. Okay, guys, uh, I'm going to go to the bathroom. Uh, give me a minute, and then we're going to go live.
All right, where are we? Cool. Let those questions come in. Uh, uh, hopefully, it don't tell me that it just disconnected the chat. Uh-oh. Did it disconnect the chat? Let me see publicly. At least it's working, but oh no. I see. Okay, the questions are coming in again. Okay, thank God. <laughs> I thought we had technical difficulties again. All right, Andrea, does Norma Hellas still produce DECA? Mm, not sure about that. I think so. I think so. Uh, I haven't seen them online for a while, but I think they're still being produced. I have to look into it. I'm not sure. I had some of these come and go, like, uh, you know, Bayer is out of stock of Primo for a while, and then a year later it's back, and same with Testovirus, and it comes and goes. So, uh, because, you know, they they think they're going to produce a batch for the for medical purposes, but then all the bodybuilders scoop it up, and then it's out of stock. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Maybe just wait a bit. And otherwise, you go with another uh, Nanderlon. Amazing birthday gift. Happy happy birthday, Genghis Khan. Happy birthday. Enjoy. Let me zoom in a little bit. So I can read the questions before I put them on screen. Let's see. Royce, Steve, can you split Anivar capsules the same as tablets for sublingual intake? Uh, yeah, but you have to measure them for every uh, sublingual uh, you know, administration. So if an anivore capsule is like 10 milligrams and you want 10 milligrams sublingually, of course you can take the entire capsule dose, right? You split them open and you just dump it underneath your tongue. Um, but if you want 12.5 uh, milligrams and it's 25 milligram tablets, then you have to carefully measure out and take half. Or you kind of eyeball it and kind of, you know, start doing the magic trick where like a slinky, Right, but it's powder, and you go back and forth until you get an accurate amount. You throw half of it in the sublingually, and then you put the cap back on, and you keep it for another day. So that's basically the way to do it. And otherwise, if it's like a 50 milligram tablet, and you want five milligrams sublingually, then you have to empty out the contents of the capsule into the back of a one milliliter or three milliliter syringe, and then draw in something that's sterile, like Everclear, for example, um, or, 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 you know, just bacteriostatic water, right, with 0.9% uh, benzoyl alcohol. And then you dose that with the syringe. So you draw one milliliter or 10 milliliter, and then you, you know, uh, dose it correctly for the dose that you want. So if you have 50 milligrams in the back of a syringe and it's three milliliters, and you draw three milliliters, then you have 50 milligrams per three milliliters. So if you want five milligrams, you need 0.3 milliliters to get that dose sublingually. Gary, good morning, Stefan. Jesus Christ, I haven't seen that name in ages. It's Steve, vigorous Steve. Stefan is the old guy that used to live in Holland. Uh, it was funny listening to you and Nal uh, talking about your rave days. Yeah, uh, I might be visiting Nal at uh, the end of my trip uh, going to um, um, the United States because I do pass through Los Angeles on the way back. So I think it's, let's say, mid-November. So if there's a rave there, um, yeah. Yeah, I might be partaking. <laughs> Can you imagine seeing my old fart 
at a rave. I'll probably be like morbidly obese by the end of my one month trip to the United States, though. All right. What is this? No more rope? Oh, the rope. No, that's in the laundry. <laughs> it's in the laundry. I, I didn't realize. So I have the, the deadlift things shirt. All right. Not stranger things, deadlift things. And I cut the sleeves because sun's out, gun's out. The studio lights are the sun. So. Steve, do you have a particular AI that you could recommend? I would say Aromacin. I prefer Aromacin over Arimidex or uh, Testolactone or <laughs> Letrozole. Right? Aromacin is uh, quite easy to manage. And um, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's better than the other ones. And it's better for your lipids as well. Thomas, were you already using PEDs in Holland? Yeah, I did my first cycle in Holland, my second cycle as well, than everything else I've done here in Thailand. Even though every time I went back home, uh, I continued the cycle that I was on. Uh, I might have allegedly brought a couple ampules or vials with me or had a bodybuilder or a friend of mine, uh, you know, uh, hand carry uh, a care package for me as soon as I landed. So, yeah, I did my first cycle in Holland. Uh, I did my second cycle in Holland, which was uh, testosterone trimbolonanthate. Yeah, shame on me, right? Um, and uh, yeah, and then after that, I moved to Thailand and I had all the pharmaceuticals, but also a boatload of underground labs uh, at my disposal. And I realized uh, after a couple of years of using UGLs here that they're all trash. So I haven't touched UGLs since. Where did you get your blood work done? So in Holland, it's a little bit annoying because, um, you know, the insurance only allows you to do blood work once per year unless you have real good reasons and, and you know, medical issues that you need to do blood work again. So every year I would go to my, um, you know, the, the, the patient care coordinator, the, the primary health care physician and just play the victim. And he would always see it coming anyway because I would do the same thing every year. Because if you go in there and I say, I want to do blood work and I feel fine, then they're not going to write it or they write it so basic for you that you, uh, you know, don't get the fundamental insight. So I would go in there just feeling that I feel tired, low libido, erectile, uh, erectile disqual, uh, function, you know, low blood pressure and whatever symptom that's related to low testosterone, I would just uh, bring there. And then I would get a script for, uh, you know, an X amount of blood work. And then I would go to the hospital, uh, you know, a couple of days later because, it, you know, first you have to make an appointment with your primary health care physician, takes a fucking week. And then you need to make an appointment with the hospital, takes another fucking week or 10 days. And then it takes two weeks before you get your blood work. So now we're a month ahead. Good luck trying to do preventative health in Holland with a month lead time. That's why I moved to Thailand. That's why I stopped paying taxes there. Why pay taxes to our government that doesn't have your back when you want to stay healthy? I don't get it. Anyway, that's uh, a long time ago. Nowadays, there's several clinics in Holland where you can actually draw blood. Uh, Andros, I believe, and there was another one, uh, bloodwardentest.nl, and there's another one. So there's several places where you can do blood work privately in Holland. Um, but back then, it, it wasn't available. So I would do it once a year. And then when I went to Thailand, the second time I got it done here somewhere at St. Louis Hospital, um but second no the second time was still natural that i came to thailand it's when i broke my link yeah so i paid out of pocket it was like fuck, 150 euros or something like that so yeah uh it's it's difficult to do blood work in the western world unless you live in the united states i mean merrick health you can do blood work a discount code vigorous 
for 10% off. At least they offer a Bloodwork service where you can go frequently. Unfortunately, you can only use my code once. So once you enroll, uh, no more discounts. <laughs> That's the way to set it up. But if you're not enrolled yet with Merrick Health, vigorous. 10% discount on any low panel. And if you want to do the full one, that's $700 something dollars. It's a vigorous male lab panel. And otherwise there's a budget male lab panel for about half that. Um, yeah, it will give you fundamental insight into all your blood work parameters, even markers that they don't even have here in Thailand, like TMAO, for example, not available here in Thailand, unfortunately. Uh, let's see. Holland is very similar to Sweden, yeah. I think Sweden is worse though, because in Sweden they will rate the the, the gyms. <laughs> in Holland they don't they don't do that. If you're muscular in Holland, it's just the general population that doesn't like you. But in Sweden, it's also the police doesn't like you if you're large and in charge. So they will rate the gyms over there. That's why a lot I know a lot of Swedish people either move to Dubai or move to Thailand because they were sick of it being stereotyped and uh, you know you know having their their shit seized and then fined and stuff and of course the steroids in Sweden are very very expensive from what I've heard Erex would clenbuterol before lifting be a bad idea I try to stay away from caffeine and other stimulants pre-workout so that I don't have an interference with any pump or nutrients I mean your heart rate will go very very high so you know if you're using clenbuterol for fat loss of course it will be beneficial to take it before any activity because you're more um you know in lipolytic states and thus burn more body fat but it does interfere with um you know your your uh, stamina sort of say so you need longer rest periods although i would say that the pump or the um, yeah, the pump and the strength wouldn't really be effective. If anything, you get some central nervous system stimulation from the beta-2 adrenergic activity that clenbuterol has, and thus you can train harder. Or at least that's what I experience when I run 20 micrograms, 40 micrograms of clenbuterol per day. So, uh, yeah, go by your heart rate and see how uh, bad you feel. Maybe you take 20 micrograms of clen in the morning. It will still be active by the time you start lifting. T-Flow. Thank you again, coach. Keep on rocking. You are the man. All right. Thanks so much. <laughs> I know that you've touched on this a bit recently. I'm looking at the best time to take 100 micrograms IGF-1 LR3 when I'm also using four IUs of genotropin. Is there a follow-up question? Yeah. Uh, two IU in the morning, two IU pre-workout, 15 units Lantus, 10 IUs in AM, 5 IUs in the PM, 5 IUs Humulin R pre-workout with 30 to 50 intercarbs and essential amino acids. I'm considering 50 micrograms IGF-1, LR3, and 50, micro, 50 micrograms post-workout. I would just do everything pre, even though it's a long-acting uh, IGF-1 with a half-life of, was it, 30 to 36 hours. Um, you know, taking it, up, taking it around the workout seems to have the best pump and, and nutrient partitioning effect post-workout because you're basically raising your level slowly by the time you're working out and thus you have a little bit of a localized effect and the nutrient uptake already starts especially if you combine it with Humalog or Humalin R sorry um, and then by the time the Humalin R is already uh, you know kind of metabolized the IGF-1 LR3 will stay metabolized for an entire day after the administration. So if you do this around the workout time or, or you know, around the same time uh, on the rest days, then you always have your IGF-1 levels elevated. And I think that would yield the best results. I've always done IGF-1 pre-workout. And uh, whether it's IGF-1-DES, even though I usually don't get so much good results from IGF-1-DES, but that could be a sourcing issue. From IGF-1 LR3, I always get great results. 
phenomenal pumps, especially when combined with growth hormone and IGF uh, and insulin. So in your case, take it all pre-workout, I would say, and uh, intramuscular, so you 50 micrograms left, 50 micrograms right, and then on rest days, you take 100 micrograms uh, sub-Q um, at any point during the day or the same time that you would otherwise work out to kind of have the overlap until the next day, right? Because the recovery and the nutrient partitioning and the... You know, the uh, the protein synthesis and the fat loss that is just continuous after each workout. So why not use a long-acting one like IGF-1, LR3, and Lantus, just like you use testosterone inotate and uh, other steroids with a long ester. doesn't all have to be super fast. That recovery isn't super fast either. Genghis. I used to train in a private gym because of the raids. <laughs> but every gym in one-hour area has been closed since the virus. Yeah. So I'm always afraid now. I mean, try to look for something to do online and move. You know, I know it's tough. I know you have to leave friends and family members behind, but you, uh, yeah, you uh, you might have to, uh, you know, think about yourself first. If, if bodybuilding and steroids is important to you, then uh, move over. Santiago, good afternoon, coach. Thank you for everything you do and share. You're literally the best. All right, my pleasure. Thank you for your support. All right, Dietrich. Hi, Steve. Natty here. Total testosterone 550 and low free T and normal estrogen, but high SHBG. Yeah, that's pretty normal for naturals. Could it be the reason I have... Uh, what could be the reason and, and do I have to lower it? So it's just normal for high SBG, SHBG when you're natural. Um, you know, you're, you have normal pulsatile testosterone levels. Most of that is going to be bound up with SHBG. You can try three to 10 milligrams boron once or twice per day to bring that down. You can start eating a little bit more food that might have a favorable effect on your SHBG levels. Or, um, let's see what else brings it down. I mean, you can use exogenous GH <laughs> to bring your SHBG down also. Of course, then you're no longer natty, but it might be the first step into you of becoming fully enhanced. So SHBG might come down, testosterone levels might come up slightly, um, albeit not as dramatically as, uh, you know, some over-the-counter testosterone boosters. Look into those, like Gorilla Mind Sigma just released a new formula, Vigorous for 10% off, that's the code, not the link. That link is uh, gorillamind.com slash sigma. And then you put the vigorous code at the end for 10% discount. And um, yeah, if you really want to bring your levels, uh, testosterone levels up and your SHBG down, then the cycling is the way to go. You could also look at the 12.5 milligrams of proviron once or twice per day. That doesn't seem to negatively affect LH, FSH, total testosterone, estradiol. Well, estradiol might come down a little bit, but at least not the HPTA functioning. LH and FSH should still be in range. Start conservatively, 12.5 milligrams proviron, uh, maybe over one serving or two servings, so 6.25 milligrams morning, evening to bring your SHBG down. Um, some people do notice a reduction of LH and FSH, but the only real way of knowing is by getting your hands dirty, by getting your hands dirty and giving it a try. But you're no longer natural if you start taking Proviron or growth hormone to manipulate your SHBG and total testosterone levels and free testosterone levels as a result of that. So, you know, maybe look into an OTC uh, testosterone booster with some extra boron and then take it from there. Anton Bjork. Uh, we're doing K plus TRT rape my cardiac mark cardio markers. Um, no, if you eat healthy and and you know, if you take your citrus bergamot and fish oil with each meal, citrus bergamot twice a day and fish oil with each meal, and and you know, you do some fast cardio, 
then then I don't think it's going to be bad. But you know, caber I don't think it's required to reduce your prolactin levels because they shouldn't be that high on TRT unless you're morbidly obese and your eating habits are horrible, or you smoke a lot of weed, or you eat a lot of kratom, or drink a lot of kratom tea. Um, I don't think you need caber at all. I think you can get good results with uh, 500 milligrams L-tyrosine and 100 uh, milligrams uh, vitamin B6, P5, P twice per day, which increases dopamine levels and reduces your prolactin levels that way. But caber you shouldn't use too often. I, I would only use it as needed when your prolactin is really, really elevated. And then even a low dose of 0.25 milligrams uh, caber will bring your prolactin levels down quite dramatically. But if you use it every day, the left ventricular hypertrophy is, is certainly a risk. And you're already on TRT, so that you know might also not be good, depending on your training intensity and your sleep apnea and your body weight, right? So look into everything. If you want to increase your libido, watch the libido video. Yeah, no cable required. Sebastian, have you ever talked about Austrian in the past? I did a couple of cycles with this compound and had incredible results. It's because you're small. Big people don't get good results from Austrian. Small people get good results from Austrian. And why I don't talk about Austrian is because steroids are superior in any way, shape, or form. But for merry Americans out there, steroids seem to be such a big taboo and Austrian is being sold everywhere. Um, so I think that Austrian is the next best thing, but it's actually the worst next best thing. No, next, next worst, <laughs> the next worst thing. That's what it is. So I don't like to talk about SARMs because I think um, I think they're inferior to steroids. So that's why I rarely talk about this. And uh, yeah, hopefully you can find some real anivar or do a proper cycle with some testosterone in there, and then get even better results. And then you look back on your cycle with Austrian, and you realize uh, you didn't know what you were doing, and you realize that you get much better results with steroids, and your blood work parameters are better also. But let, yeah, you, people who take Austrian or SARMs in general usually don't do blood work. So, yeah, I hate to point fingers, but I know these kind of people. Chingus, I work at a hospital in Sweden. The benefits while on steroids are crazy. What? Oh, you get your steroids from the hospital. <laughs> don't say that publicly, dude. <laughs> Thomas, do you think 2.5 milligrams of himbine hydrochloride and 25 milligrams ephedrine hydrochloride pre-facet cardio is beneficial or worth that? Actually, you shouldn't combine your himbine and ephedrine because they have some receptor overlap. <laughs> so don't do that. You'll feel like fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah. I think I did that combination, like three milligrams of himbine and like 20 milligrams injectable ephedrine one time. Ooh, I felt horrible. So take either or, take either or, not together. All right, I would, I, I no, I would rather take 2.5 milligrams of himbine and clenbuterol together than uh, himbine with ephedrine together. So, um, or take ephedrine solo. And, and take some caffeine with that. The, the ECA stack, but the aspirin isn't really required, honestly. You know? Yeah, that's just an uh, ECY stack. But you can do ephedrine, uh, caffeine, and yohimbine uh, together. It, it just makes you feel horrible. All right, let's see. Mm -mm. No, I don't get my stairs from the hospital. What I meant, hospital is 95% girls and beautiful. Ah, okay. Spread the love, man. <laughs> 
spread the love don't let these nurses go uh, all hot and bothered you know take care of them in the in those little back rooms where they uh, where you normally would sleep in between shifts i'm sure you can lock the door all right but don't shit where you eat too often you might get yeah negative effects <laughs> from your employee Hey, Steve, what are your thoughts on Traceba as opposed to Lantus for an off-season? Also, how beneficial is an injectable BCA 40 milligrams to the 1 to 1 ratio over over-the-counter uh, over supplements? Worth the money. Injectable BCAs, I never really got to try. I mean, I, I tried several of the Amino Asylum injectable uh, pre-workouts, but those are usually in the context of um, increasing the pump, right? The Mass Monster blend and the Monster Pump blend and, and all those. They just increase the pump. Um, so... So look into those. I think some of them have a little bit of BCAs, but honestly, dude, I would just eat your BCAs and then get some sort of injectable version that uh, that is beneficial uh, in other avenues. So, you know, I don't think that there's anything beyond uh, injecting, um, you know, leucine, isoleucine, and valine uh, over the the oral version. And Draceba, uh yeah, was it the 48-hour insulin? I usually never recommend that, so I probably forgot. Draceba insulin. Is it the... Isn't that the same one? Ultra long. Oh, yeah, 42 hours. Yeah, that's the long one. Um, I mean, it would be convenient to inject it every two days instead of every one day, but... I don't see there's any benefits. I haven't really done much research in Traceba after since I released the insulin ebook, and and whatever I know about Traceba is uh, kind of out of my head because I usually talk about Lantus. So I, I wouldn't know besides uh, you know infrequent administration strategy for Traceba over Lantus. But if there's any particular benefit regarding receptor binding or IGF one production or uh, or other benefits over Lantus uh, besides uh, you know reduced injection frequency. I like Lantus every day, unless you want to skip it, all right? You can do six days a week. You can do three days a week. You can, uh, you know, do one day a week, whatever you prefer. But with Traceba, of course, it works for 42 hours, so basically two days. So understand that. Um, yeah, injection frequency would be easier. Or you could do half the dose every day, and then it slowly compounds, right? <laughs> whatever you prefer. All right, where are we? Mm -mm -mm. <laughs> all right i love you steve yeah yeah i wish i was a nurse in sweden dude uh, but those days are over all right we thomas wouldn't clan in the empire or ephedrine then also not be a good idea so clenbuterol works on the beta 2 adrenergic receptors and yohimbine works on the alpha 2 but alphadrine is overlap over both. So it's not a good idea to combine that because, and, and most people just feel off. So I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. Thoughts on a very low calorie cutting phase with HCG to maintain uh, one nanograms per deciliter or 1000 nanograms per deciliter testosterone levels to reduce catabolism. Um, yeah, you can do that. That's the whole idea behind the HCG diet, right? You have 500 calories per day and then 500 IUs of HCG three times per week. Um, it is not sustainable though, because at one point your metabolic rate will just be so low, but you can do HCG monotherapy and maybe 2000 calories with cardio and, and maybe some other fat burners to get your body uh, fat levels down. I, I don't, I'm not opposed to that. 
not opposed to that at all. Um, and of course, you know, as soon as you increase the calories, you can reduce or remove the HCG. And then you basically don't have to do a PCT because, you know, even though your LH and FSH secretion was downregulated while taking HCG, your testicular function was not. And LH and FSH generally tends to kick back quite fast within a week or two weeks after discontinuing the HCG because uh, estradiol levels slowly come down. So I don't think you need to do a PCT for that unless you've been on HCG monotherapy for like a couple of years um, already. And then of course, pituitary shutdown would have been taken place for the same amount of years. So then you need Novodex or Inclomiphene uh, or Clomid and Clomiphene to kind of restart your HPTA, uh, but at least you keep testicular uh, function going. So no, I'm not opposed to it. Not opposed to it at all. Just make sure that your diet is solid and that you don't, um, you know, go to uh, too low because very low cutting phase uh, with HCG. I don't think that is very sustainable. And eventually, even with HCG, your testicular function might still shut down. All right, I missed a couple super chats, so let's get started here. Uh, would growth hormone create new cells in the testicles under fertility protocol? Um, no, but it is very good for motility and morphology, apparently. So I just reintroduced the growth hormone in the IGF-1. Yeah, about two weeks ago. So um, semen volume has definitely gone up, but I'll recheck my semen parameters tomorrow. So we're talking about 2.4 IUs of growth hormone and 100 micrograms of IGF-1 LR3 from Amino Asylum. And growth hormone is from anabolic pharmacist, uh, what was it, Sizen, Serono. Um, I bought the, the last batches that he had, so don't bother buying more. This is the reason why uh, uh, Chase Irons had to switch to Genotropin. Reason. No, no, it's not my, not my fault, but I think he's out of stock of that particular brand. I just use whatever he has available. It doesn't matter which brand you use, but I, I can't really get behind Genotropin anymore because that brand uh, wasn't good for my uh, heart, the manufacturer at least. So... Yeah, does it create new cells in the testicles? From all of the research that I've done on growth hormone and IGF-1, it seems that it increases mortality, morphology, um, you know, um, you know, improves that. And then semen volume might go up. Testosterone levels might stay exactly the same, although be it that SHBG levels might go down slightly. But I can't remember reading a study that uh, growth hormone actually increases uh, testicular cells, right? Uh, what is it? The Sertoli cells or Leydig cells or whatever. Um, yeah, but it is good for fertility parameters. All studies show that, whether that's in, uh, you know, um, infertile men with normal growth hormone levels or infertile men with or subfertile men with uh, growth hormone deficiency. Growth hormone and IGF-1, both good for fertility. Yeah, hence I'm back. Not that I needed it, but I'm back because I was getting, getting sick of not, you know, feeling 100% bodybuilder. Yeah, so... Scientific evidence proves that I can use it, so and my fertility parameters are absolutely stellar. Um, and my wife is um, waiting for a period. Uh, 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 uh. Let's see what happens. Um, Brooks, fifty dollars! Holy shit, bro! I can I can go out to dinner for that tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Tomorrow, uh, tomorrow's uh, visit to the Lebanese. Dedicated to Mr. Brooks' brother, Doodles. That's more than enough to feed me and my wife with some uh, garlic naan and uh, a whole uh, entire grill. I'll post a picture on Instagram tomorrow. Yeah, much appreciated, bro. Familiar with Tessa Morellan? Uh, yeah, I've used this here and there at one to two milligrams sub-Q before bed to raise my growth hormone levels. Get a little bit of flushing, as is expected with most growth hormone secretagogues. And then... 
Uh, growth hormone levels went up marginally, so I decided to go with exogenous growth hormone. <laughs> uh, approved indication, reduction of visceral fat for HIV patients. Um, something physiologically unique about it over other growth hormone increasing peptides, and not that I'm aware of, because tesamorelin ultimately works on the pituitary gland and not anywhere else. So it erases growth hormone levels, but it seems that tesamorelin uh, gives the highest growth hormone secretion, especially when you combine it with one of the other um, what was it? Tessamorelin works on the growth hormone. Uh, was it the ghrelin one or the... Man. I think it was the GHRH receptor. And then you combine it with ipamorelin, which works on the ghrelin receptor. And then you get the most amount of growth hormone secretion. But I might have it backwards. It's been a while since I looked into these growth hormone secretagogues. Uh, would be interesting in a full video on it and other growth hormone secretagogues. And GHRH analog. So, yeah, it kind of confirms that Tessamorelin is a GHRH analog. Um, I think I made a video about this, but I included it somewhere in the context of um, improving one's uh, tendon and connective tissue health or how to recover from an injury when you have, uh, you know, ligament uh, issue or, or a muscle tear or a sprain or whatever. Right? I included it there with uh, recommended dosages and, and things that could be beneficial uh, to run alongside of that, like Anavar, for example, TRT, etc. But I've never made a dedicated video on these growth hormones or ketocogs. I can add it to the to-do list. Um, but yeah, it's, it's honestly, guys, exogenous growth hormone is where the magic starts to happen. I know people who have good results from Tessamorelin, Ipromorel, and MK677, but then you put them on real pharmaceutical IG, uh, growth hormone, 2.4 units, even two units, and they forget about growth hormone secretagogues. Yeah, but if it's available through a TRT clinic or an anti-aging clinic, and you end up having access to growth hormone, or it's too expensive, or whatever you can find online is cheaper, but you don't want to run the risk of importation or even using that domestically, then yeah, this might be a good alternative. But I would say exogenous growth hormone beats um, growth hormone secretagogues anyway, uh, shape or form, any time of the day, and in most cases. Um, well, you can buy pharmaceutical growth hormone, but there's no pharmaceutical uh, tesamorelin. Right? Even the compounding pharmacy here that sells tesamorelin, it's not pharmaceutical grade. It's made in China and then shipped to the United States and shipped here and then tested for purity. And even though it's third-party tested before it gets on the market, um, it's not, not exactly pharmaceutical grade. So, all right. Uh, I'll add it to the to-do list, but it might take a while. I have a lot more interesting videos that I want to make. Baskar, been on testosterone for over a month now, 25 milligrams every day. Now dropped it to 20 milligrams every day because of high blood pressure. That's very high. Uh, controlled it over the week. Now uh, body weight is around the same and had normal blood pressure before. Could Aramison cause it? Um, no, you just have to make sure that you control your blood pressure with magnesium and calcium. And if that doesn't help, right, I have several articles about this and I mention it every fucking vigorous Q&A. Um, get your electrolyte intake sorted. Um, if you're from India or Pakistan or uh, Bangladesh, based on your name, um, Indian diet, Bangladesh diet and the Pakistani diet, if you're following a general diet, it's horrible. It's horrible. It's a horrible diet. So start eating a little bit better and, uh, you know, drink enough water. Start eating like people in the fitness community do. Uh, you don't have to start eating beef, but some chicken, some fish, some salmon, some shrimp, you know, some uh, some rice, some healthy fats. Right? That's much better than a, a cookie cutter Indian diet or Pakistani diet or a Bangladesh diet. And that could be the root cause of your high blood pressure. 
So make sure you get adequate calcium in, magnesium in, maybe use telmasartan to keep your blood pressure under control. And if you're worried about your estrogen levels being too high, uh, get that diagnosed with blood work first. I know in India it's very, very cheap and in Pakistan as well. I'm not sure about Bangladesh. Again, I'm just assuming based on your name and, and the little funky uh, thing that's in front of your currency. Um, so get that diagnosed first before you throw in the aromacin because your blood pressure might not be related to the uh, elevated estradiol levels. It might just be diet related or, or your body just uh, not knowing how to control this extra testosterone and maybe at one point you're normalized, especially if you start taking some calcium and magnesium uh, in your diet. So look into multiple angles and then get it addressed. Do your blood work first before throwing in the aromacin because otherwise your libido will be Horrible. And you get dry skin and then you feel even worse than you do now. Zigzag. Can a netty take pregnenolone and for collagen synthesis? Um, you know, I don't really like these neural steroids for, for naturals. Pregnenolone is not on the wider prohibited list, but DHEA is. And, you know, pregnenolone can convert either into progesterone, uh, resulting into cortisols, or glucocorticoids and mineral corticoids, right, like aldosterone, and, and partially convert into DHEA and then hopefully into testosterone and estradiol. But... Um, I would rather take a, you know, an over-the-counter testosterone booster than, than pregnenolone because you don't know where it's going to convert into. Um, I would rather take DHEA for elevated testosterone levels, but if you bring your testosterone levels up too high and your estradiol levels go, will go up to a high, then your LH and FSH levels will come down and you shut down your HPTA. And I would know what you're going to ask. Can I take DHEA and an aromatized inhibitor? Yes, you can, but it will still not be the same as taking actual testosterone for collagen synthesis or testosterone anivore for collagen synthesis. So if you're really after collagen synthesis, test anivore growth hormone and forget about your 90 status. And if you want to keep your 90 status, just take the collagen and maybe an over-the-counter test booster and eat a little bit more food and do a couple heavy squats and then everything will be okay. And if it doesn't uh, come out okay, do a testicular ultrasound, see if you have a varicose cell, maybe structurally there's something going on. And you will never have high testosterone levels. And then you can go on the TRT uh, gain train, just like everybody else. Genghis. I started HRT again, 120 milligrams testosterone propionate, 250 milligrams IUs. That's IUs, buddy. 250 IUs, HCG, three times a week, dynomethane, pregnenolone, DHA, twice a day. See, Chingus knows you need a little bit of testosterone with your pregnenolone and DHEA. Actually, it's vice versa. You need some pregnenolone and DHEA with your testosterone because neurosteroid levels decline when you go on TRT. So you do full HRT and everybody feels better suddenly. Uh, twice a day, one IU growth hormone in the morning, 200 milligrams injectable alcarnity for fasted cardio and 1.5 IUs pre-bed growth hormone. Uh, Follow-up question here. Would it be too much for me to do four to 600 milligrams of carnitine per workout? Also, no, sounds absolutely fantastic to me. Um, yeah, yeah. Bump that L-carnitine up to 500 milligrams with this other stack and uh, bump your test up to 150, fucking pussy. 120 test. Ha! Come on, dude. Nah, that's fine. It's totally fine. I mean, you're on HCG and, and, and DHEA, so I'm sure your testosterone levels are like 1,000. Um but I don't know. I would like to see 150, 50 milligrams test probe Monday, Wednesday, Friday, ATG uh, Tuesday, uh, Thursday, Saturday, right? Uh, test, ATG, test, ATG, test, ATG. And Sunday we rest, unless you're not a Christian, then you can do whatever you want on Sunday. Um, 
yeah, but if you're a Christian or anything along that falls in that category, just rest on Sunday. You take your growth hormone and uh, you go eat some nice food after church or before church. Kratos, training four days a week for most muscle gain. Should IGF-1 be used daily or a higher dose on training days only? 150 micrograms seven days a week versus 250 micrograms four days a week. Uh, that's a good question. That is a good question. I would do 150 micrograms seven days a week because muscle recovery takes multiple days uh, post-workout to, to take place. So I would take it every day for three weeks in duration, 21 days on, three day, uh, one week off or 10 days off. So basically on the calendar, I like to do it. So I started my uh, IGF-1 this month on 100 micrograms sub-Q um because i don't want the localized effect because otherwise i start training harder and i'm since i'm not an exogenous testosterone i'm not going to recover from it so i just do sub q igf1 lr3 at the end of the day so it doesn't um mess with my uh you know uh, cognition and that kind of stuff because gh and igf1 always makes me a little bit lethargic so i take it pre-bed so i've been taking it now for 13 days i'll run it until monday the 21st and then i take uh let's say one two yeah let's say 10 days off and then, oh wait, then I go to Japan. Hmm. Maybe I'll take like a week off in Japan and then run it until the end of the month. Even though I might lose sensitivity that way. But I'll restore sensitivity. Uh, maybe I have to go to 250 micrograms IGF-1 the last week. Let's see how I feel. So normally you would take 21 days uh, on and a week or 10 days off, usually on the calendar that works best. So the first 21 days on the calendar, you take IGF-1, then the last seven to 10 days, you don't take IGF-1 and then you restart uh, because the uh, IGF-1 receptor sensitivity does go down with continuous new use, especially at higher dosages, albeit that the more muscle mass you have, the more IGF-1 expression you also have, so you can get away with a higher dosage. You need a higher dosage for increased nutrient partitioning, absorption, self-proliferation, uh, help with insulin sensitivity, etc. But I remember uh, Kratos is on heavy stack, so I'm sure you know this. Um, yeah, try it a month, 150 micrograms, seven days a week for three weeks, and then maybe try a month at 250 micrograms four times a week uh, for three weeks. And if you don't lose sensitivity that way, because you can take a couple of days off, even though IGF-1 LR3 is longer lasting, um, unless you're using this, right? then it might reset in the meantime that it's not active um maybe you can run an entire month and then compare uh, the gains bro but you're not allowed to change anything to your cycle right if you go from a gram of test to two grams of test it's not really a fair comparison all right Slobodan, I love you. All right, great. <laughs> well, for five bucks, I love you too, buddy. Mwah. So fucking gay. Lee Brock. All right. Any question attached to that? I guess not. Oh, there's a lot of super chats. I better, I better go faster. <laughs> I read somewhere that subcutaneous test over time gives higher test levels compared to intramuscular. How much of this claim is true? Not that I noticed. I did an entire cycle subcutaneously last time and my levels were like 10% lower than uh, they normally are, but my gains were exactly the same. So I did daily subcutaneous administration, subcutaneous micro-administrations every day. Um, yeah, I think my levels were a little bit lower than intramuscular, um, but my gains were the same. So I don't think they build up over time, not not substantially. All right, Rob, 
Hey, Steve, I remember hearing that you say that 140 to 150 milligrams testosterone annotate per week or cypionate, whatever, should be the max you'd recommend for a grappler. Yeah, that's true. What starts to happen beyond that dose that uh, could be counterproductive or counterintuitive? Well, the more tests you use or the more steroids you use in general, the more your performance takes a beating. So that's why I always mention in the um, endurance deep dive videos that anything be over, uh, beyond TRT or HRT right, with HCG and DHA and pregnenolone and maybe a little bit of growth hormone, um, I think that's counterproductive to to your uh, stamina. Now you can use like halotestin or anivar for a couple of days leading into a contest or event, but any longer than that also hinders your stamina, your you know your your energy demand and all that stuff and energy. Um, you know, the, the metabolic waste products go up, which can also hinder performance. So I would just limit it to HRT, man. I would limit it unless you're an absolute beast you might be able to get away with 200 milligrams but i recently had a consultation with one of the well i can't say his name but one of their more known um let's say uh yeah let's just say mma yeah let's just let's over branching right so one of the more known mma guys uh ndas so no uh, no name calling here and they were on like 150 milligrams of test also and this is a heavy weight class <laughs> this is a pretty big boy so they just take hrt trt one ampule of test or half an ampule of test per week and leave it there yeah, because otherwise their endurance get fucked so they're not subject to drug testing, but they know that running anything more than that will just hinder their endurance. We talked about mildronate, we talked about mexidol, we talked about hypoxin, right? That kind of stuff, that shit that actually increases your endurance. And uh, more videos about that coming, so stay tuned. Rabar. Hey, Steve, my question. My libido has gone down on TRT, 150 milligrams per week. Uh, blood levels look okay. DHA and pregnenolone levels okay. What could help? HCG. HCG will help. 250 IOs or maybe 1,000 IOs. HCG every other day for two weeks. It usually restores your libido quite fast on an HCG or on TRT if it comes down. Uh, I made a video about that, the HCG to restore your libido video, an article corresponding on my website. So go to vigorsteve.com. You can find the article there with the list of um, you know supplements that help with testicular function for the best um, you know sex hormones and neurosteroids that are being produced with the use of HCG that usually restores it and um, otherwise watch those libido videos dude I mean I have multiple of them and that might give you some good ideas Samax oxytocin right all of those might be beneficial to run ox alongside of your HCG because those will really heighten your libido and then uh, yeah you won't be here you'll be you know yeah banging the headboards against uh, you know, the wall of your bedroom yeah because it's so fucking good that you can't stop banging hopefully you have a significant other to keep up with you supplements or pharma options to reduce clotting risk and hematocrit and clients you've worked with baby aspirin nutto naringin uh what else fish oil and vitamin e and that's pretty much it um of course uh, not doing anything stupid to your hematocrit like taking epo <laughs> or or uh you know uh, all those kind of stuff so yeah ideally you just keep your hematocrit unchecked if you're using boldenone or primabolin or anything else like anadrol for example and your hematocrit starts going higher and higher and higher do a therapeutic blood donation have a look at your platelets right make sure you're on top of your vitamin k for normal platelet aggregation not that your platelets are vitamin k deficient and there's some sort of issue there so um yeah baby aspirin 81 milligrams per day natokinase i think that's 2000 or 5,000 CFU, could be mistaken there. 
uh, norigenin, well, that just comes from grapefruit, right? So, you know, whatever you get from a grapefruit, I think it's like 50 to 80 milligrams. And then uh, fish oil with each meal, I would go up to like 3,000 milligrams EPA and DHA from fish oil. That's what I take. And then maybe 200 IUs vitamin E from um, sun. Now, what is it? Red palm, red palm vitamin E. I think that's a good one with all the tocopherols or tocotrienols, whatever is inside. Yeah, those are good. Nick, the Pietro. Is there a question attached to that? Remind me if I miss your question. I don't see a question. I see here. You're very handsome, sir. Okay. All right, I'll take your compliment and your $2. <laughs> yeah, blue STI. Laughs also. All right, let me turn this down a bit because I'm freezing. I've only had food today. And not for the last five and a half days before today because I was fasting. And now my uh, metabolic rate is severely impaired. All right, Buscar. Initially, Esserdal was 103, took 12.5 milligrams of Romacin on 28th of July, and thereafter 6.25 milligrams every three days or every three and a half days. Check this week, Esserdal uh, after your rate was 54, and the other day the next dose uh, came to 64, uh, 54 to 64, high enough to cause blood pressure. Now, I would not say that this Esserdal is the root cause of your blood pressure. I would say that it's related to something else, but it would be good to stay on 12.5 milligrams of Romacin. Um, every, let's say, tw twice a week, so Monday and Friday, for example, for convenience, to get the ester dial level around 40 to 50 picogram per milliliter. I don't think that's any, like 100 could be a cause for blood pressure, but 54, no. But again, your individual makeup is, might be different. I would look into the electrolytes and otherwise look into using something like an abivalol or thermosartan or Cialis, right? I think that's over the counter in India also, uh, or whatever you're from. And, and get it addressed. Right? You don't have to crush your estradiol just to bring your blood pressure down because in many cases, estradiol has a favorable effect on your blood pressure management uh, unless it gets too high or too low. So keep that in range. 40 to 50 is good. 12.5 milligrams per week should get you in range. Lee Brock, my hematocrit came back on a recent blood work, 55.5%. Yeah, I know. <laughs> is this a reason for concern? I'm currently four weeks on my cycle, 600 milligrams test per week. My America two months ago was 50. Uh, did you drink blood work? Oh, did you <laughs> did you drink blood work? I think it's time to call, to quit this figures Q&A. It's only been one hour and 45 minutes and I'm already turning into a retard. Okay. Um, did you drink water <laughs> before going in for blood work? Because your America might be two points or one point higher if you're dehydrated. Don't listen to the doctor say you need to be fasted from food and water. Just water, or just food that you need to be fasted from, not water. Drink one and a half liters of uh, water before you go in for blood work. But then again, your hematocrit might still be only uh, or still be 54%, which I see is borderline high. So, yeah, uh, enalapril will bring that down, 5 milligrams per day. Uh, 25 to 100 milligrams methylene blue will bring that down. Fasting will bring that down. Telmasartan potentially could help keep it in range, albeit that I still see people with elevated hematocrit that are properly hydrated on 80 milligrams of telmasartan, but those are usually the guys that run pretty heavy cycles as well. But on nalopril, that's not the case. Or you do a fast. Right? Did I mention it already? You fast for a week. My hematocrit usually comes down with two points also. And then uh, you can do a therapeutic blood donation or power red donation where they return some of the plasma or you go to the Red Cross 
and then uh, they check your hemoglobin at your market and you should be able to donate as well so a lot of options and otherwise there's always ip6 right to uh reduce your iron absorption albeit that, that is a, a, a two or three month wait before your hematocrit actually comes down. Do ARBs increase creatinine by decreasing GFR? Uh, not that I'm aware of. No, I'm not sure. Let's ask Google. ARBs creatinine. Could have done it yourself. <laughs> Uh, we, a rise in serum creatinine values usually begins a few days after beginning a therapy with an ASAP binder or an ARB. Okay, so apparently it does increase levels. Well, I was not aware. I can't say that I've seen my blood work or any other person's blood work see an elevated creatinine level suddenly after adding in a telmosartan or angiotensin receptor blocker. Um, but then again, most people that I talk to already have an elevated creatinine, and if it goes up 5 to 10%, um, usually we attenuate that to a muscle mass and not to an ARB. But it's good to make a mental note of this, and I'll ask people going forward, are you running an ARB if their creatinine is slightly elevated? But most guys that I talk to have slightly elevated muscle mass also. And uh, a normal GFR because they check their cystat and see. And they do a 24-hour urine collection test to see what their actual, their real glomerular filtration rate is, not the estimated glomerular filtration rate based on creatinine, which is useless anyway, um, unless you have kidney failure. But yeah, that usually have more symptoms than just a little bit higher creatinine level on paper. uh let's see full-time mechanic if you do blast and cruise would you only use organ supplements when blasting uh or only cruising a year round well when you're coming off a blast you're probably unhealthy and at one point you're um you know even though you go into a cruise you still might two or three need two or three months before you're perfectly healthy so i would run these supplements year round i mean i have it in my year-round supplement stack on my website just all these supplements you would just run year-round and, and you might take more when you're on a blast. Then otherwise, like Tatka might go up a little bit from 250 milligrams maintenance dose on a cruise to 1,000 milligrams, for example. And uh, what else? I mean, NAC is pretty much the same. Micronutrient intake is pretty much the same. Yeah, is it only Tatka? I mean, yeah, what is it called? Citrus bergamot you might not need on a cruise, right? Because your lipids are good if you just do TRT. If you keep doing the facial and the, and the daily fasted cardio and the healthy eating, that's so much work, but it helps, guys. It helps so much. Um, Astrocallus root extract might go up maybe two, two grams per day on a cruise and then four to six grams on a blast, depending on the blast and how much kidney support you need. So the same supplements, just lower dosages. Yeah, I like it year-round, man. Keep yourself healthy year-round. Kratos, during the week of IGF-1, uh, do we drop growth hormone Atlantis? No, man, keep that going. <laughs> keep that going, but you add in the metformin, right? You bring in the metformin, you might have to reduce or remove the Atlantis if you bring in the metformin to reduce your IGF-1 level and increase your insulin or IGF-1 receptor sensitivity again, um, because that seems to help quite well. You crush your IGF-1 levels with metformin and then the sensitivity is a lot better and of course if you combine lantus with metformin it's a little bit risky for insulin sensitivity because metformin will improve your insulin sensitivity overnight and the lantus is also working overnight um, so you might wake up hypoglycemic in a puddle of sweat or not wake up at all so be careful uh, with that particular combination so keep the growth hormone in 
replace the IGF-1 in the Lantus for Midformin, or if you're really, really advanced, you could combine a low dose of Lantus with uh, 500 milligrams of Midformin, but not anything beyond that, right? I mean, I'm assuming that you have your diet in place, so I'm sh uh, I know what uh, diet adjustments you need to make, but it's not for the faint of heart. Yeah, it is a risky combination. PJ, legend. Uh, pharma supplements for reducing NPP cardiac fibrosis damage. <laughs> take the NPP out. Uh, cardiac fibrosis. I'm not sure if there's a supplement for that. Um, blood pressure looks low, kind of uh, yeah, kind of low. Can you still sartan? Any other must-haves uh, for NPP? I mean, if you're worried about cardiac fibrosis damage for NPP, take the NPP out. Do a cardiac MRI, which should deter determine any damage or fibrosis if you use the contrast dye. Uh, the galonidium contrast and adenosine monophosphate to act as a vasodilator. You'll be hyperventilating like a maniac while they administer that. Uh, I've gone through the process. It's not fun, um, but it only lasts a couple seconds. Uh, they should be able to determine if you have cardiac fibrosis. Your uh, um, CK, uh, C, CKMB will be elevated and perhaps your troponin T levels, uh, like they are elevated in mine, even though my uh, MRI didn't show any cardiac fibrosis, but I did my MRI before I uh, got uh, double tapped. So, yeah, maybe I should do another one, see if there's any cardiac fibrosis. The CT scan I did afterwards, and uh, the CT scan showed uh, normal functioning heart without any... Um, any uh, uh, calcium, right? Any heart plaque. So... Yeah, do an MRI and don't run MPP if you're worried about this. So I'm not sure if natokinase or, or lumbrokinase or serapeptides will help in this case. Taurine might help. Then again, I'm not a doctor, so discuss it with your cardiologist. <laughs> it's a much better source of information when it comes to, uh, you know, fibrotic tissue in your heart. Rick Ross, my doctor says the TSH of 6 is not really a problem. Okay, I don't agree with your doctor in this case. Normal uh, free T4 levels and no antibodies, TSH of 6 for two years now. Worried about increased risk of thyroid cancer. Yeah, I would be worried too. I would start locking into 100 micrograms to 150 micrograms exogenous T4 to bring your T4, uh, the TSH, uh, TSH levels down and also do an ultrasound on your thyroid to see if you have any nodules or benign growths that might get worse over time, right? So uh, TSH of 6, I would say, is not good long term. Um, so start supplementing with T4. You can buy that anywhere if your doctor is not willing to prescribe it or find another doctor that's a little bit more progressive. At least do an ultrasound on your uh, thyroid to see what's going on and then, uh, you know, take it from there. Six. Yeah, that's pretty high, dude. It's, it's like over the reference range. It's like borderline uh, Hashimoto's disease, even though, you know, you might see elevated antibody levels in that case as well. Uh, let's see. Did I miss any super chats? No, I think not. Puneed, recommended subcutaneous test sites. Uh, doing abdominal and love handles. I bleed a bit uh, one, four times 
one out of four times maybe a few milliliters if i don't consistently apply pressure this is normal yeah so you have veins all over your uh, abdomen and and even lower back uh, love handles so uh, every time you pierce the skin you risk uh, bleeding a little bit it's not the end of the world i do the upper glutes when i do subcutaneous administrations because that's the last place that anybody sees it so you might find yourself in underwear in the gym and then at least uh, all your injection sites are covered with underwear same as if you find yourself at the beach or at the swimming pool or, uh, you know, taking your shirt off at the nightclub or the strip club and then just going to town. Uh, it happens also sometimes. Usually you're heavily intoxicated and you can't even remember the next day. Most people are intoxicated as well. And it's very, very dark, so you might not even see the injection site. Still, if somebody gets their phone out and starts taking pictures or videos, you don't want to be caught with uh, lumps and bumps all over your abdomen. So, upper glutes, a little bit of flexibility is required. You take your insulin syringe, you go back there, stick it in. And, uh, and nobody will see it unless it's your significant other. And if your significant other is ramming you from behind, they might be appalled from all the little injection sites. But uh, if that's not your cup of tea, then it shouldn't be an issue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, where are we? Here we are. Neo's Info. Uh, tried to rise my testosterone with HCG, but after two such of 500 IUs, I felt bad and my progesterone jumped from to 2.5 uh, nanograms per milliliter. The max is 0 0.9. Is uh, any idea or a solution? Um, no, but you're, of course, increasing your pregnenolone DHEA production in the adrenal gland, so you might have an elevated progesterone. So... It could be that you're taking something that inhibits progesterone synthesis. There's actually a Wikipedia for that. It's called Steroidogenesis Inhibitors. I already made a video about that. It should drop in about two weeks because next week, next week my um, editor is on holiday. So he won't be able to edit and I simply don't have time for it anymore. So I record a lot of videos that I can edit myself. But anything that uh, has overlays, I'm just handing off to the editor. I don't want to spend days on it. Um, so in the meantime, go to Wikipedia, look for the steroidogenic inhibitors and see if there's anything that you're taking right now that can, inhib can inhibit the, synth uh, the, not the synthesis, the metabolism of progesterone into, uh, you know, allopregnenolone or something else downstream. Maybe that's why your pro uh, progesterone levels are elevated. And otherwise, um, yeah, maybe that's just a side effect of the 500 IUs HCG that you took. Um, but if you want to increase your test levels, then this is what you're going to have to deal with. So maybe a 250 IOS HEG is more sustainable regarding your progesterone levels. And again, some people don't respond well to HCG monotherapy. So, you know, it could be the case that you simply don't respond well in the elevated progesterone. It's just a side effect, but not the root cause of why you feel off. Um, and then you have to look into a lower dose of HCG. And if that doesn't work for you to increase your testosterone levels, then exogenous testosterone is the way to go. So look into a couple options and then take it from there. Mithril, the best armor known to man. Although, you know, when you get stabbed, apparently, when you're wearing Mithril, you make the most horrible faces. Frodo, I mean, it's fucking old faces, cum faces every time he gets stabbed. Well, you guys know what he looked like on... Uh, <laughs> Oh, Lord of the Rings. All right, Mithril, 25 day, uh, 25 milligrams per day per viron or 100 milligrams Mastron per week long-term use as a TRT add-on. I would use 100 milligrams Mastron because I think it's more anabolic, uh, doesn't crush your SHBG as much, um, and the uh, Proviron is just the only real application is there 
uh, to reduce your SHBG when you're natural. I don't think it has any real application. It might potentially during a contest prep at a pretty high dose towards the end to help with a little bit of fat loss and, and uh, you know, anti-estrogen effects. But um, if you're doing TRT for long term, I would just go with 100 milligrams of mastrone or better yet, 100 milligrams of primobolin, baby. Yeah, I would like 100 milligrams of primobolin more. How do you super chat? Well, you're a member, so you can just ask. Just ask me a question. I see your special uh, logo right behind the 69. And then uh, just ask and I'll answer it because you're already a member. So don't worry. Ask and I'll answer. Uh, Steve, what's your approach to injuries, especially elbow and bicep inflammation? Take a week off or take a month off? Yeah. Um, of course, you can run TB500 to BPC and start training harder and train through the injuries to the point you actually have a problem. But you can also take a month off and let it heal. Sucks. <laughs> I took a month off recently and my shoulder still doesn't feel ba uh, good, but it feels better than before. So it still doesn't feel good. Ugh, fuck. It's, uh, I'm getting old, man. 25 years of bodybuilding. Um, so yeah, take, take some time off. See if that makes you feel better. Uh, get off the fucking windstraw. See if that makes you feel better. Uh, and otherwise, there's TB500, BPC157, uh, injectable GHK copper, growth hormone, Anavar. Um, and then, uh, you know, watch that video that uh, I made about how to uh, heal and repair and recover connective tissue issues, uh, tendons, joints, and ligaments, right? Connective tissue issues. Uh, connective tissue issues. Jesus. Fuck. <sighs> All right. Yeah, it's been a long day. I might have to call a uh, throw in the towel soon because my vocabulary is uh, failing on me. Rick Ross, does gear decrease lipoprotein uh, A in your clients? Yeah, at least testosterone. But Anavar seems to do it as well. Uh, but most guys on Trembolone and, and, you know, heavy cycles, they don't uh, check their lipoprotein little A or APOE A, uh, APOE, APO. APO lipoprotein A1 and B, eh, they don't check it. So most of the guys that I talk to, they check their lipoprotein A or um, APOE, APO B, Jesus, fuck. APO lipoprotein A1 and B, they only check that uh, when they're, um, you know, on a cruise. And it does seem that at least testosterone improves their levels, but healthy eating, fish oil, so many things that improve that. And if it doesn't improve it, then, then look to a zetamibe or a statin to, uh, you know, crush it uh, that way. Let's see. Slow the bun. What is actually bad about taking too much pregnenolone and producing too much cortisol? Well, cortisol makes you feel off. And if you're already training hard, your cortisol levels will go up. So right, I wouldn't think it's a good idea to take too much pregnenolone to increase your um, progesterone or allopregnenolone. That's that's quite okay. But cortisol levels too high, aldosterone levels too high, you might start holding water, you might feel less energetic, you might just throw your sleep cycles off, right? I mean, there's ideal dosages and too high dosages, which leads to all kinds of issues downstream. So that's why I prefer up to 25 milligrams pregnenolone. And some guys, when they go over, which I've seen so many times, because I can't I can't find the, the 25 milligrams pregnenolone tablets. I took the 100 milligrams and I take that for a month and their cortisol levels are through the roof and they feel off. So, you know, it's... Uh, 
so, yeah, I would just uh, proceed with caution when it comes to these neurosteroids. You don't have to take too much. If you want to dose your DHA at 100 milligrams per day, it goes into testosterone and estradiol. And estradiol is easier to manage than cortisol. All right. So nicking a vein isn't too bad for your health with aspirations, of course. I mean, if you go sub-Q, I wouldn't even aspirate. I would just inject. Um, nicking a vein, no, it's you're going to bleed and it will heal. <laughs> I nick my vein every week here. I do IV administrations every week here or here or somewhere on there. It's just to kind of rotate. I mean, I bleed every time, you know, just a little bit. It's not the end of the world. <laughs> right? I mean, it's to be expected when you start jamming needles into your body. Cuban says, six weeks out of my first show, enjoying the process and what I'm bringing together. Another show is in six weeks after. Thought on two. Thoughts on gear. Um, one week off. Five on prep, any directions appreciated. Uh, get a coach to guide you through this process. Um, you know, if you look good at the first show, peak as hard as you can because you have plenty of time to peak for the second show with six weeks in between again. So go all in for the first show. You're probably not as in shape as you think you are. And then go on all in even harder with diets, not with drugs. Diet even harder for the second show. All right. First show is very hard to show up absolutely peeled unless you have great genetics. But most guys need um, multiple shows to really get diced. And of course, you need a practice run. And if it's your first show and you're doing this without a coach, I mean, just hire a coach for the next 12 weeks to guide you through the process. Um, you'll end up looking better. You have more experience. You have a second eye. All these things that you're probably not thinking about, your coach can invite, uh, advise you on. And, um, and he might do a practice run for the first show, still going all in. But then, of course, it's a practice run compared to the second show because now you have more data to make better preparations and adjustments and decisions when you go to the second show. All right? And just enjoy the process, man, because it's hard to place first or even top five at your first show unless, you know, you go into a show that's, like, local and there's not so many people showing up. But... Um, it's not unheard of that you win your first show, but if you do your first show uh, and it's like a, a regional or a national, <laughs> I mean, yeah, good luck. Anthony Wolf, I'm considering taking testosterone when I go on a bulk. Will this be my first? This will be my first cycle. Any advice? <laughs> Just watch the channel, dude. Come on, <laughs> I've heard so many videos about first cycles. Uh, if you go on a bulk and you go on testosterone, make sure you have something in place to manage your estrogen levels. Make some sure you have something in place to manage your blood pressure. Make sure that you're healthy. Don't eat like an asshole when you're bulking. Eat super, super healthy because, you know, the water retention will be more. The bloating will be more. The estradiol conversion might be more than you expect. So you need to have everything in place for your first cycle um, to have a successful outcome. And then, uh, you know, start low and build your way up. So you don't have to start with an actual cycle with the animal kickstart. Start with like 250 milligrams of test. Give it like a couple months and then bump it up to 375. Give that a couple months. Bump it up to 500. Give that a couple months. Make as much process as you can. Manipulate your estradiol with aromatized inhibitors or, or maybe primabolin or uh, masterone in a one-to-one -one ratio with your testosterone, right? And then thus you can use less test because now you have another anabolic in the picture. There's, there's a lot of things, but I mean, I, I, I would need two hours to explain it to you, what you need to pay attention to. So you're better off watching a lot of the videos on this YouTube channel um, because I go over everything. Uh, but a $5 Super Chat doesn't really cover it <laughs> to go into depth for two hours. So yeah, don't forget to do your blood work. 
I have several videos about how you should do your first cycle, right? I have a video about what I recommend to my clients when I start their first cycle. I'm a, I have a video about when you're ready for your first cycle. I have a video about which uh, drugs I recommend for a first cycle. Watch those three. Watch everything else about uh, ancillaries and health uh, manipulation. And then get your hands dirty. Uh, let's see. What should be our target blood glucose throughout the day to optimize fat loss? I'm currently consuming 200 grams of carbs per day, uh, mostly pre and post workout. Blood glucose is uh, typically between 72 to 105. Yeah, I would say 72 to 100 is good for fat loss. It seems that anything over that, your body will start releasing more and more insulin to bring that down. And of course, if you continuously keep that elevated between 100 to 130, by eating a lot of carbs, you have a lot of insulin to release and, and thus not so much lipolytic activity. It seems that the sweet spot for glucagon release and, and, and overall fat loss is between 70 to 80. So when I was using in fat loss, I kept my blood glucose levels around 70 to 80. Course that's using insulin in a ketogenic state um yeah you need to have a lot of experience before you go that route um but in your case you know uh, taking the 200 grams of carbs out will of course yield more fat loss but you do have to increase your fat intake for being in a nice ketogenic state any advice on testosterone suspension as a pre-workout if I have injectable saline coming to help with the post-injection pain? Uh, dilute it to 25 milligrams per one milliliter and inject that intramuscularly in the muscle that you're going to train or subcutaneous. Um, and that way, uh, yeah, you can uh, get all the benefits. Of course, you get a lot of aromatization, so you need aromatized enzyme inhibitor in place. Um, and otherwise, uh, yeah, the post-injection pain you can kind of mitigate by injecting into the spots that you're going to train so if you're going to train back it goes straight into the lats bilaterally 25 milligrams left 25 milligrams right with adequate amount of uh, injectable uh, saline solution or bacteriostatic water and then um yeah training and training and training you'll still get post-injection pain but it will be less because you can bring blood to the area and, and disperse everything to uh to kind of mitigate that and sub q well you still get post-injection pain but it's sub q so Yo, uh, it doesn't impair your workout structurally. All right, done with the questions. Appreciate your help. My pleasure, buddy. Uh, PJ asked, notice any muscle loss on a GLP-1 receptor agonist dieting with your clients? No, never. Never saw any muscle loss, whether those are guys are drug-free or enhanced. I mean, lipids tend to go up with uh, continuous GLP-1 use or, uh, you know, combination medications like terzepidite or the upcoming retra 2 True Tides, which is GLP-1, GIP, and glucagon. I'm sure lipid levels will also be altered on those medications. Uh, but muscle loss? No, not really. I think it's just people who use uh, GLP-1s or, or GLP and uh, GIP medications, uh, they're probably diabetic. They have horrible eating patterns. They don't go to the gym. And because they're more sedentary and they get less protein in their diet, they might experience fat loss, uh, muscle loss besides the fat loss and the weight loss. So uh, don't compare yourself to sedentary fucks. Yeah, compare yourself to athletes if you're going to the gym and, you know, training hard. And using this as a little bit of a boost to keep your uh, diet adherence under control. All right, guys, number super chats. I'm starting to uh, get fatigued now. It's been a long day. Uh, Operor TV, is there any way to lower bilirubin? Um, usually it comes down with time. So 
if you're, uh, let's see, if you take a hydrolyzed casein protein, which has a glucuronidase inhibitor, which metabolizes glucuronidine from bilirubin that's conjugated, right? The ones that you're excreting through bile acid. If you're taking hydrolyzed casein protein, you have no likelihood that the bilirubin gets reabsorbed. So you're only excreting, you're not reabsorbing the bilirubin in the enterohepatic recirculation. This is proven in infants who suffer from jaundice due to increased bilirubin levels. When they start taking uh, hydrolyzed casein protein, their bilirubin levels go down quite fast. Um, otherwise, look into calcium deglucurate, which also helps with glucuronidation or conjugation of bilirubin, marking them for excretion. Uh, eat more fiber in your diet, obviously. And if you just came off cycle and your hematocrit, your blood cell count is going down because you get a lot of red blood cell destruction because you're no longer in this highly erythropoietic state, um, then it's just normal for your bilirubin to be slightly elevated for a month or two after cycle. Again, Tatka, hydrolyzed casein protein, fiber, calcium deglucurate, all of that will help with the excretion. And uh, yeah, then it's down in no time. Durthor, not on PEDs. My, I have a high total testosterone of 1150 nanograms per deciliter and low DHA sulfate, uh, 0.7 micro. Oh, it's quite low. Any ideas? Should I be worried? SHG is 64, so that's normal for natty. Estradiol is 129 picomoles per liter. Uh, that's pretty high. Oh, no, no, it's picomoles, not picograms. No, that's normal. <laughs> Towards the top of the reference range, just like your total testosterone. Free T, 19, yes, and LH is 2.6. Um, no, it's it could be that you're converting a lot of the DHEA to testosterone. So, again, there's, there's of course, enzymes that help with that. I can't remember which name, uh, which enzyme that was. But, and it could be that your free DHEA is so high that your DHEA sulfate is low. Keep in mind, there's always a balance between DHEA and DHEA sulfate, and uh, they kind of go back and uh, forth, uh, vice versa. So there's a steroid uh, sulfatase enzymes, there's two of them, and uh, they kind of regulate how much DHEA sulfate and sulfate you have. So if you can, check your DHEA levels and compare that with DHEA sulfate, just like you can compare your free T3 and free T4, or free T4 and Wait, free T3 and total T3, free T4 and total T4. Yeah, I got to throw in the towel now, uh, getting stupid. So, um, you know, start comparing that. But if you just have low DHA sulfate, it could mean that your DHA, free DHA is high, just like your total T and estradiol is high. And um, I don't think that's anything to worry about. You know, maybe, maybe do longitudinal data. Uh, it looks like your total testosterone estradiol is great. SHBG is a little bit on the high side, but that's just the cruel joke of nature. Uh, again, if you want to bring that down, uh, 12.5 to 6.25 milligrams per virin might get, uh, get that down without any negative effect on your HPTA, but you have to get your hands dirty and do blood work frequently just to make sure that that um, is really proven, um, you know, by seeing that your LH is still comparable to now. And... Um, no, I don't think this is alarming. Uh, of course, if your DHA sulfate is chronically low, then um, you know you start n noticing neurological issues, neurological decline, memory formation, sleep quality, that kind of stuff. There may be a little bit of supplementation of 12.5 milligrams DHA might be sufficient to bring your levels up, or even 25 milligrams, but it might also bring your testosterone and estradiol levels down. So again, no free rides, but ideally you compare your DHA to your DHA sulfate. All right, this is the last super chat, and then we're going to throw in the towel. 
Um, if you could only source Underground Lab, which brand would you consider? Uh, I don't know. I don't follow Underground Labs, dude. Sorry. Balagas is recurrent, consi consistent good result from Yanosik. Is it the best Underground Lab? I don't know. I have no idea. I don't follow Underground Labs. Really, I know pharmaceutical. I don't follow any of these underground labs. I don't index them anywhere in the control of source list. It's up to your discretion and up to your, um, you know, research which underground lab you do. I would rather homebrew my own gear than go with any underground lab. So uh, I don't know. I don't know. Sorry, <laughs> I really don't know. It's uh, yeah. I don't really trust the underground labs. They're good today, then they're shit tomorrow, and then you place another order of a hundred dollars or thousand dollars, and then you get bunk. So I don't know. All right, let's leave it here because I'm feeling a little bit tired, and uh, my answers are turning shit anyway. So <laughs> let's throw in the towel for today. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining. We'll be here next week. For the guys who are all here, uh, please go back to the start of the video and uh, regarding the discussions of upcoming Vickers Q&As because I'm going to Japan and um, uh, America and Beijing before that China so China and America in October and November for an entire month so there will be limited um, Vickers Q&As for all the guys who are on the fence about joining the Vickers Inquisitor um, uh, level to be you know part of the private Vickers Q&A for an hour if you're on the fence on that uh, just make sure you time that correctly because there might be sporadic Vickers Q&As depending on if I'm available if the internet is good maybe I'm not available on Saturday but I do it on Sunday or do it on Friday, right? I will give you guys some notice, but some weekends we might have to skip. So yeah, I'm tired. Yeah, it's, I had like four hours of consultations. I thought increasing the rates would bring the consultations down, but I guess not. <laughs> I mean, how many hours can you talk, dude? I've, yeah, four and a half hours and then two two hours here. My brain's fried, dude. <laughs> really, I don't understand how these people do like day long chats and streams. Yeah, there might be a live Q&A if I'm in Japan, uh, but, you know, in Japan, probably not, dude. I'm going there for holiday, and I don't want to take two hours away from my wife, which I could be spending with my wife uh, when I'm in Japan. I mean, I could be in the Ryokun and the fucking hot spring um, instead of talking to you guys. No offense, but I'd rather be in the hot spring with my wife than talk to you guys. So... <laughs> It's, uh, yeah, but let's see. I might be in a good mood to start streaming, uh, but I'll give you guys a day or two notice if that happens. Um, but in America, I'll, I'll try to get as many streams off as I can. Um, so, yeah, peace out. Have a good day. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy your weekend. And uh, we'll see you guys uh, next weekend. We have, uh, for sure, one, two. Oh, only two. Holy shit. Yeah, only two Vigorous Q&As left before I go to Japan. Um, may maybe Friday, Friday the first of September. Let's let's do let's let's aim for Friday first of September, guys, so you don't miss out. Okay, so one one th one two three, and then I might be off for two weeks. All right. Anyway, that's it. Peace out. Love you guys. See you next weekend and uh, enjoy your uh, Saturday. Mine is over. <laughs> See you later.